Hello, welcome to Conversations with Kari. I am your host, Kari Feiler. In today's episode, I'm speaking with my friend Mike Thal. He's a game audio engineer as well as a fighting game enthusiast. Today, we talk about audio design, video games generally, popular media, MOBA design, fighting games, character arcs in games, suffering as a concept, and the differences in human perspectives. I hope you enjoy the show. And we're going. Hi, Mike. All right. Hey, Kari. How's it going, man? <laughs> good, good. But you were telling me about your, your Yeti blue mic. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. It's it's pretty solid. You know, it's uh, you know as an audio engineer, I'm like, uh, it's not uh, top of the line or anything, but it's very, very helpful and uh, very straightforward and easy to use. Hashtag not sponsored. I know. The, nobody listens to this podcast. It is an infinitesimally small podcast. Uh, not yet they don't. Not yet they don't. Maybe maybe in uh, 40 years they'll say, we need to go hear what Mike said in 2020 when he was talking to Kari that time because it's very important now. So maybe maybe that'll happen. I mean, you know, it's funny you say that. Uh, on the whole, microphone technology has really not changed all that much over the years. So maybe? <laughs> But tell uh, us, the listeners, a little bit about yourself, where you're, where you're from, and what you got going. Sure. Um, so, hi everyone. I'm Mike Thal. Uh, I'm a uh, technical sound designer and audio engineer at Turn Me Up Games. So that might be a lot of mumbo jumbo to some of you. So what that basically means is that um, uh, at this company, I'm you know creating sound effects, uh, composing music actually, which is not usual, but I'm very on board with it, uh, and also implementing sound effects into um, into video games. So and uh, implementing the music as well, so getting it to sound right and play in ways that are engaging to the player. So uh, aside from that, I'm currently in the Los Angeles area and uh, been here for a couple of years, and that's where I, I'm at. Kari over there at some uh, game development events out here, and yeah. I'm uh, really liking it here a lot. So, what was it at some point in your teens, early twenties? Uh, so, what mm. was the event that inspired you to say, "You know what? I'm going to do game audio." Um, it's interesting. It was it was kind of a gradual process. Um, I mean, there's there's one specific or specific thing i can point towards but i think there were a lot of things that led to that point so let me just go through it all if you don't mind no yeah uh, that's why we're here yeah i mean we got a couple hours yeah, right yeah. so trying to th so when i was i want to say in first grade maybe maybe was, i think it was about first grade uh, my brother had been doing violin lessons for quite a few years. And, uh, you know, I said to my parents, like, hey, I, I want to learn to play some music, too. And uh, they asked me why I wanted to play. And I said I wanted to learn piano. And so, you know, we got me started on some piano lessons. And, um, you know, that that's really where I started um, playing music and, you know, getting involved in, you know, audio more actively aside from just listening. And so... Uh, over time, yeah, I was taking lessons for like six years or so. And in elementary school, um, you know, I wanted to start doing, um, you know, like concert band, but they didn't have, um, you know, piano for concert band, I guess, just based on the setup. It's just not uh, for that. So I had to pick up something else. Uh, and so I decided to try trumpet because I had seen someone at summer camp playing trumpet and I was interested enough. So moved to trumpet. Uh, did 
uh, trumpet uh, at school and also started taking some guitar lessons because I was really interested in guitar. I was getting more interested in uh, varieties of rock music and things like that as I was getting older. But um, in high school, in junior year, um, let me let me backtrack a second. So my high school band teacher was... Um, I mean, I, I'm not going to say names, but he was a jerk uh, and he was also kind of lazy. Like there were a lot of times where, uh, especially in our sophomore year, where class would basically just be we sit around and watch a movie and we wouldn't really you know, actually rehearse for the concert until a couple weeks in advance. Hmm. And I'm just like, well, I'm here to play music. That's why I signed up for this class. Like, <laughs> I don't want to just have a free period, you know? Um, and so between both of those things, I decided to look for something else. And, uh, my, uh, public school system had this really interesting, um, this really interesting program where you could, uh, take classes at other schools in the public school system and they would like bus you over and bus you back kind of thing. Mm. And there was this class uh, at a nearby school called music and computer technology and i you know had you know loved technology and computers i love music and i kind of never really thought about the two together but i knew i wanted to continue doing something musical and i you know didn't want to do band at my high school anymore so i decided to give it a shot and this was a super interesting class and definitely opened my eyes to a lot of aspects of like you know recording technology and engineering um and digitally creating music and things like that. And yeah, there were some times in there where we absolutely spoke about film scoring and uh, video game uh, music, but it wasn't something that I was like, yes, like this is the thing I'm doing, right? But, but so you were interested in music generally. Uh, yes. So I guess I can ask in the same vein of, of the initial question, what was mm -hmm. the what was the point where you said I want to do this i'm so interested in audio i want to go down this track of exploring mm -hmm. how sound waves interact with the human experience what was your spark of of inspiration sure. and curiosity i'm there? getting very close to that oh okay <laughs> so no yeah i was getting there but uh yeah so um in, so as i was like finishing this i was starting to apply for colleges uh i knew i wanted to do something in the realm of like you know music audio etc but mm -hmm. i Partially because of me and partially because of my parents, I wasn't fully ready to commit to, like, I'm going to do arts. Because, you know, like, sometimes with college, you don't want to, like, um, you want to get, like, a degree that can be more practical just in case. You Which want, is like, a more so bad. Place. That's yeah. so bad about our culture that that's the yeah, state of, of affairs. Trust People me, need I to know. be going to school for what they're interested in, what their heart's passions are, and what, what they want to yeah. do artistically, uh, how they want to express, what they want to learn. That's why people should be going to higher education, not because they think this degree will get them more money. No, no, no. I, I, I do totally agree with yeah. you now. Uh, but back then, you know, that wasn't my thought process. Having said that, I think things worked out uh, surprisingly fortunately for me. Uh, and, you know, I'll get into that. So um, I decided I started doing like a music uh, industry program in undergrad. Um, and, um, I mean, I was, it was very clear that a lot of the students in my class, uh, had really different interests than me, uh, not just socially, but also just in terms of what they wanted to do. But 
Um, one thing that was uh, very clear to a lot of people is that in addition to music, that I love video games. I mean, I've been playing... Some of my earliest memories are playing uh, Super Nintendo with my brother. Um, and I'd continued to play. And so, you know, I did like... Um, Sorry you know, for him. Under He's the... distracting. <laughs> There's nothing that's I can okay. do. Stop yeah. it. Knock it off. Tupac's like, music? Music? Yeah, what? that's... Music. <laughs> uh, so anyway... Um, where was... Oh, yeah, yeah. So it was... So I did freshman year, and then it was second semester sophomore year um like i said like everyone in my program knew that i love video games and such and so one of the higher-ups who like ran the program because it was a very tight-knit program this music mm. industry program she said hey i heard about this thing called global game jam and kari i'm sure you're familiar with that um but uh for anyone else who isn't uh essentially um it's an event that happens uh once a year at uh, numerous locations around the world simultaneously where you have to make a board game or video game within 48 hours. And so, the, you know, the first thing that this man, like, that sounds super interesting. I want to give this a try because it's the first time they were doing it at my college campus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I tried it and the process of, you know, composing and, you know, doing, I mean, I composed music already just like for fun or like you know on my computer after you know that music computer technology class but like doing it actually for video games in that collaborative environment i really really liked it and i i had so much fun doing it and so after that experience i think this was really um where i started that kind of spark that started to set me down that path Mm. and really wanting to explore that and so this is the part where i was saying like yeah uh in hindsight um that what I'm about to tell you is, is like, yes, I agree with you about higher education, but it turned out very fortunate for me because um, this um, program at my college, we had like a semester, quote unquote, abroad uh, in Los Angeles that we could do. And the reason that was so fortunate is because after this global game jam, I went to that person who recommended it to me because she knew I was planning to go to Los Angeles um, in the fall being, you know, start of junior year. And we had to have internships. And I said, this global game jam was amazing. Do we have connections with anyone who works at game companies in Los Angeles? Because I want to do an internship at a game company uh, for audio. And lo and behold, two of our alumni were married and ran a game, a small game company nice. in Los Angeles. Nice. And so I interned there. And then this is where things started to kind of steamroll a bit because I absolutely love that. And then, but I was also still at that point, I'm like, is this something, like, I I love it, and I want to do it, but is it something I can do, right? Um, But then, lo and behold, I went to, uh, I think it was the first or second time, uh, I went to MAGFest, which is one of my favorite game conventions. No, it is my favorite game convention, I miss it. It stands for Music and Gaming Festival. Okay. Uh, Talk more about that later, but... um, there was a guy who gave a speech there or, or a talk there, uh, wonderful human and sound designer by the name of Akash the car. It just a really clever man in general. I think you'd actually like a lot of his like talks and, uh, ways he goes about thinking car. I think you two would get along well. I'll check him out. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I watched this talk and it was like about, you know, really getting started as like a sound designer and, you know, breaking into the industry and just like, 
hearing the way he was talking about things and like the process, I'm just like, no, I I can do this. I I can really do this. Um, and this was in early 2012. Um, so needless to say, because you know, Kari, uh, it has been <laughs> it had been quite an adventure since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think those three events together were really that back-to-back-to-back spark that really set me on the path. I get it. No, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. I mean, I think you, I think you can count yourself fortunate uh, that you didn't get trapped in the "this is what I need to do because this is what society expects of me" path that a lot of yeah. people get trapped in. Right, and it's, this isn't mm-hmm. this isn't a flaw in choice and decision making. This is just part of how humanity works, right? Society's putting a lot of pressure on you to be something or something, right? And then society will mm-hmm. often push you in your family, your friends, your what you see on TV, what you don't see on TV, what you see yeah. celebrated by your family members, what you what you see denigrated by your family members. These events tend to shape you in a way that is what society wants of you. And you're fortunate if you can tap into that inner voice that that voice is coming from inside of you that says, this is what I want, though. This is what I want to mm-hmm. do. This is what I'm interested in. And if you can listen to that and find reward in the real world from it, for it, then kudos, man. It's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think that there are... Um... You know, it was definitely a bit fortunate, but I think, and I'm trying not to like toot my own horn or anything, but like I do also, I, I did have a lot of good luck. There's absolutely that, but I, the thing of listening to your inner voice, I know that it's like, I think sometimes people have trouble with it, and um, personally, I've always listened to that because uh, that's always really guided me uh, quite a lot, and you know, following what I believe in, and because, but I will say because of it's always been so easy for me. I, I agree with you. I sometimes see uh, people struggle with that, even some of my closer friends. And so I try to, you know, help them with it where I can um, to like, listen to those things and uh, sometimes take the leap, you know, but I, th- I think it was a combination and there was definitely a lot of fortunate aspects uh, to it, uh, to my whole journey. Uh, and especially with like, you know, my family and who I, uh, ended up meeting and uh, the programs I was able to, you know, attend and, you know, learn from and things like that. So tell me about as much as you can. I know a lot of it's yeah. proprietary, but as much as you can about the projects you're working on now. Um, I guess, I guess uh, what I can ask, cause yeah, I'm not asking what the company, don't, don't tell now. me what the company's doing, but just sure. what are, you learning what are you what are you excited about the skills that you're learning and and what are you learning about networking kind of like that talk gotcha uh yeah that i could probably talk about more <laughs> so uh i'm not i haven't really been doing a lot of networking these days because you know the shape of the world mm. uh <laughs> but in terms of skills uh there's a lot of things uh that i have been learning i've been getting um I've been getting a lot better at some specific things with composing uh, for anyone who knows music theory out there, uh, chord voicing. I've been getting a lot better at because our audio director is, um, he's very cognizant of those things. So you, what did you effect- said? Chord voicing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So effectively what that means, at least how I've been understanding it is. So, uh, I'll give you a super simple example. So like 
um, a C major chord is C, E, and G, right? And so usually when you transition between, uh, or sorry, let me backtrack. When you orchestrate something, you'll sometimes split the chord between different instruments. So, um, you know, like your lower instrument might be playing the C and then, you know, a mid instrument above that will play E, G, etc. Just as an easy example, right? Okay. And so um, these notes are like the first, third, and fifth of the chord, respectively. And so when you switch to another chord um, in the song later on, you want to try to, for the most part, keep those instruments uh, playing the same first, third, and fifth. So if you move from like a C major to a C major chord to a, um, I guess to like an E, I'm trying to think, hold on one sec. Be an E, I think an E minor would still be in key. So um, you would effectively have uh, an E, G, and B. And so whatever was playing the C before should move to the E because that's now the lowest note, the first. Um, the middle note should move to the middle note, etc. And it's, I'm, I'm explaining it in a super simplified way. And there's a lot of like moving parts to it. But yeah. It sounds like you're saying <clears throat> uh, a variation on a theme, on the writing theme of if there's a shotgun on the wall in the first act, then it needs to be fired in the second. Where if there's something that's present in your initial audio scheme, then those mm. set the tone and you need to follow those tones for the rest. Otherwise, it becomes discordant. Yeah, it's it's not so much that it becomes discordant or um, uh, what's it called? Uh, or oh my god, I'm having a brain fart. <laughs> um, what the heck? Give me a second. <laughs> it, um, it's not so much that it's discordant or like out of key or anything like that. It's more just that it, it keeps a relative consistency hmm. of. Uh, you know, kind of the use, the listener's expectation of like uh, where the notes are in the chord, even if they're not uh, consciously thinking about. I that. was just thinking that, that. so this that. wouldn't even be a conscious expectation. This would just no. be somebody would just listen to it, and then if you weren't <clears throat> following the chord voicing pattern where you're using the 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 scale and the melody, or I don't know, I don't know music. <laughs> so if you were yeah. using these these <laughs> themes that you set up earlier and then violating them, then somebody would mm -hmm. just go, eh, sounds off, doesn't sound right, Yeah, don't know what it is. They don't know why, but yes, exactly. Uh, and of course, as with like every form of art, there's a time to break any of those rules. Hmm. <laughs> so, um, so that's one thing. Uh, but and your CEO's I'm... big on it. Sorry? Chord voicing. Uh, not, not the CEO, the audio lead. Audio lead, audio lead. CEO has no clue. <laughs> he, he's, he's not like a super... You know, music person. You know what I mean? Like he, he understands sounds he's going for, but he doesn't necessarily understand the specifics of how to get there. You know, because mm. um, he's more of a an artist and a um, voiceover and a uh, game design person. So, um, cool. so in addition to that, um, definitely uh, learning a lot of Unreal. Uh, that's been really enjoyable because I mean. Um, you know, Unreal is such a commonly used game engine, mm -hmm. and, and I had experience. 
it's very powerful. And I had experience with Unity before, but um, I do like Unreal uh, a lot better. I know you're a Unity guy, but uh, me I'm not, personally... a, I'm not a Unity fanboy. Uh, oh, you know, okay. I use Unity. It's easy. I like it. Uh, but sure. Yeah, Unreal's awesome. Uh, Reworld yeah. is awesome. Roblox is awesome. D- dot dot. What's it called? Podot. Go dot. That's awesome. <laughs> I oh, love games. Sure. I love games. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he- here's my thing: is that I hate when people like bash on a certain game engine because I feel like if you look at games that have been made with insert game engine here, there are incredible games that have been made with that game engine. Mm. You know what I mean? It's it's so many people are like, oh, this engine sucks because this and that. It's like, no. If you know what you're doing, you can still make incredible games. I mean, the case in point, I hate when people bash on Unity, you know? Mm-hmm. There's, like, this thing. And, like, I understand why the stigma's there. We've talked about it. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people who asset flip with Unity, right? Mm-hmm. But if you look at games that have been made with Unity, there are some amazing games that have been made with Unity. Mm-hmm. Freaking incredible games. Uh, well, say what you will about Hearthstone these days, but, like, Hearthstone is a very well-made game. Uh, Ukulele was made with unity uh i just i just uh played through enter the gungeon and i'm currently playing exit the gungeon those are both made with unity like there's some really really, really? good games out there yeah interesting i've yeah. seen <laughs> i've never played enter the gungeon i've seen only a few wait a minute was i even thinking about enter the gungeon i was not i don't know oh <laughs> what were you thinking of i was thinking of some isometric roguelike uh, this is more like, what's the, what's the game that the Meat Boy creators made? Not Meat Boy, um, mm-hmm. Isaac, The Binding of Isaac. This looks more like The Binding of Isaac. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little more similar to Binding of Isaac and that. It's like a top-down roguelike, but, um, it's also a bullet hell. So it like Top-down kinda... 2D bullet hell? Uh, yes, but it's a roguelike as well. Nice. So it, it's a lot of fun. I, put so much time to that game because one it's a lot of fun but two there's a lot of content there there's a surprising amount of content enter the gungeon and game has a really really good sense of humor too um i love it in that respect but like there's lots of like references and also just like goofy weapons um like pretty much there's so many weapons that are like could we like joke that this is a gun or is it shaped like a gun mm-hmm. yes cool it's in you know like you can literally get a weapon that's a lowercase r that fires the word bullet nice why why the fuck not you yes. know <laughs> i don't know if i could swear out here i'm sorry of uh, course there's gonna have an okay. e for explicit okay cool uh yeah like the literally the first weapon you get in the game is a pea shooter and is a pod that shoots peas nice it's stuff like that and then there's like yeah and then there's all sorts of references they have like the mega hand which is mega man's mega buster like (laughs) let's be real here that's what it is so it reminds me of uh ratchet and clank that was one Mm. game that i played i think it was on ps one two uh one or two i didn't i didn't play it on ps3 but it was either one or two and it had all the different silly guns the explode ones and the single targets and the aoe and the ones that would lob projectiles and the ones that were Mm. now in hindsight i guess they were raycast i I wouldn't have known it then but sure uh and it just such a variety of guns and the gameplay was so fast where you're constantly running left running right lobbing these silly weapons 
and it's something that inspires me to the day for game design is just be silly, mm. be yeah. be fun, right? Um, a game is supposed to be fun, uh, and being true to life is fun at times, but being true mm-hmm. to life isn't the only way to be fun. And sometimes deviating as far away from life is the yeah. fun route. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I, I do love a serious game now and again, uh, but I think at the end of the day, I, I really do love a game that is just more goofy and with a sense of humor. Um, and I, I think I that a lot of games... Uh, I, th- I think we've started to swing back to that a little bit with games, but there was certainly a time a couple years ago where it was like, you kind of had to search to find games with like a really good sense of humor, you know, or like they actually made an effort for it. Everyone was like about dark and gritty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A well, while I, ago, I think but... the industry got bottlenecked. So I think yeah. in the nineties, eighties, nineties, everybody mm-hmm. making games was kind of small, right? So everybody yeah. making games was less than a hundred people uh, the best the best groups were between 1500 or 10 people or two people and they were being really creative and growing the industry and so yeah. everybody was was in this spirited mode of adventure uh, and that's what we got in the 80s and 90s but then after 2000 the game industry is solid right you have leaders who little people aren't going to compete with right you've got blizzard you've got mm-hmm. ea you've got the, the giants the giants exist uh and they're going to exist yeah. uh and then going into let's say 2010 you've got riot you've got first person shooter you've got solid genres mobas right yeah. wow you got uh, mmo so you got solid genres solid companies and that kind of locked in what the considerations mm-hmm. that boards because now games are being made by boards at this point and so yeah. they locked in what they could consider they had to go okay well it has to appeal to this many people it has to hit this many boxes because we're going to dump in this many millions of dollars and we need to make this many million more um mm-hmm. but i think what we're seeing now also since 2010 maybe 2015 is people just saying you know what the tools are so strong I'm just going to build yeah. games and small teams. And so we're having this resurgence of indie where people are free to make whatever you want. And because of high speed internet and the globalization uh, of steam and, and other distributors, we can ship these games everywhere, right? We can yeah. have a game that's made by somebody in Southern Kentucky when it's an awesome game and they can play it in Bangladesh. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no, I think that that is one of the great, uh, things and you know it's funny i mean uh because we we definitely have those people that are like coming out of the woodwork and you know who are just making games from wherever in the world and then you also see you know like you said there are people who uh um you know who are at these bigger companies who you know remember that time when it was smaller groups and they're just like you know what i'm done i'm gonna break off and start doing indie games again essentially yeah. you know basically do what I did when I started the game industry. And so um, I think that's really interesting to see kind of that, that pendulum swing back there as well. Um, but I think, um, no, I mean, I, I think you're right that in terms of distribution and everything, Steam is incredible. I mean, but it is, it is kind of, um, it does kind of run into the similar problem with like, say, iTunes and things like that, where it's so much easier to, distribute music but in a weird way it's also harder to not get lost in the sea of everything else you know because there's oh, you're so gonna much get lost now. in the sea you're gonna yeah, get exactly. lost in the sea i actually think it's a good thing uh the, the yeah. sea being bigger because 
Oh, don't get me wrong. So do I. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think it's a good thing. And for instance, this podcast uh, that we're recording yeah. right now. So this, uh, this is in the sea, the sea of podcasts. And yeah. so what it gives me, uh, what I'm excited about doing is just creating really quality uh, content and putting it into the ether and kind of resting on the fact that it's going to be permanent. Right. I don't yeah. have to do anything to keep it around once it's mm -hmm. out there in the zeitgeist and it gets traction and it gets on a couple of different hard drives. It's out there. Right. When yeah. when Nietzsche and Tolstoy and these writers wrote their books, once they were out in publication, mm -hmm. they were out and there was nothing yeah. else they had to do. Their ideas, if they were good enough, which for these two that I'm speaking of now, of course, they were they, yeah. the ideas stick around themselves. And if you so I feel like today, if you make a really quality game if you make mm -hmm. a really quality podcast if you do anything digital that is of high yeah. quality and you're able to get it into the zeitgeist then 30 40 years down the road maybe even after you die it will get the traction yeah. that it deserves if the quality is high enough yeah i think you're totally right and i think you know sometimes that will happen much later and sometimes that uh you know can happen sooner i i've um i mean I'll, and that's this is well, two things I want to say about this. A, this is something that has even happened for uh, for centuries now. I mean, there's been artists who uh, were not loved when they were alive and uh, have been so well regarded uh, after passing. Yep. I mean, Van Gogh is, of course, the case example of that. Um, but the other thing I was going to say in regards to what you're saying of just like making quality content um, and also kind of going back to what we were saying about things being decided a bit more by boardrooms, I was... Um, one of my favorite YouTubers uh, is this guy by uh, this uh, channel by the name of Core A Gaming. They do, I, I'm pretty sure I've showed you some of their stuff, but um, he does a lot of um, analysis of um, video games, more specifically fighting games, because that's his background. Mm. Uh, but he does a really good job of like making analogies and like comparing them to. Um, uh, real world things and also real world sports. So he, he makes things very easy to understand, but I was uh, watching a, I think it was an interview with him or maybe he was talking about like how he grew his channel and things like that. And uh, as I'm sure you're familiar with Kari, there's a lot of like, you know, algorithms and things on YouTube that like help you get uh, more noticed and this, that, and the other. Right. Mm -hmm. And so SEO. there was a point. Yeah. SEO. And so yeah. he was, it was interesting because he was talking about, when he was uh his channel was like you know starting to grow but it wasn't like you know you know super big or anything like that uh, it was just like slowly and he was talking to one of his friends about like you know should i be going for these kind of algorithm things and this that and the other right and um for, for clarification he was already making very high quality content like extremely high quality um it just you know wasn't necessarily following you know the seo stuff right and so his friends like well, who's your target audience? Like, who are you making these videos for? Are you mm. making them for machines? Or are you making them for humans? Mm. And uh, he said, I'm making them for humans. It's mm. like, yeah. So make them for humans was basically his friend's response, mm. you know? And maybe his channel growth wasn't as fast because of that. But um, his channel has certainly grown. And I think a lot of people do appreciate the uh the way he does things and the quality of his videos mm -hmm. um and i i strongly believe that like if you watch his videos and you watch the editing i i don't think that um 
his videos would be as good if he, you know, stuck to like, you know, that 10 minute thing or tried to put stuff out weekly or anything like that. That's usually like YouTube stuff. And I, th I think it shows in his work. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think the um, so I think attention is the one true currency. That's yes. that's what's valuable. Attention. Mm -hmm. What you're what you're paying attention to. That's all that that's all that can matter to you from one moment to the next, whatever it is you're paying attention to. And then what we are paying attention to collectively, that's all that can matter to us one moment to the next. So attention yeah. is the one true currency. Um, and I think that if there, there's a couple different ways you can go about trying to garner attention. One is mm -hmm. you can make something that grabs attention, uh, which is what the SEO optimization is and what a lot of people do you might see pop you know a lot of popular stuff is is based oh, yeah. on that what can what can pull your attention right what can grab your attention and hey that's a thing that's a real thing that happens it's really powerful a lot of people making a lot of money i'm not knocking that as a mode no. of, as a path to walk down if you want to walk that path walk that path the, the the direction that i try to go is something that's that holds your attention and so i yeah. try to create something trying to create ideas and and articles and podcasts and games that when you do give them your attention you go oh this is worth paying attention to and you decide yeah. that simply on your own uh, i think it mimics with the concept of of democracy in that in in an autocracy or an authoritarian system you just tell the mm -hmm. people what to do it doesn't matter what they think but in a democracy it does matter what the people think and so then in order to move power you have to convince people to join your side of their own volition. And so that's the, the way that I try to make a game and, and mm -hmm. podcasts and articles is make something that's worth paying attention to. And so that when you yeah. do interact with it, you go, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> right? this, is, yeah. this is a good thing. I like this thing. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think it's contributing to the, to the value of the culture. And that's just that's the way I've chosen to go. Um, yeah. No, I... I, I... I agree with you. I try to make content the same way, whether it's uh, you know the the sound design work I'm doing on um, work, I for work humans, on or... as Corey Gaming would say, Corey Gaming would say. Right, exactly. It's for humans. Uh, but yeah, it's I try to make content that uh, you know uh, that uh, I think you want to try to pay attention to whenever it's whatever I'm working on, you know, sound design or um, you know when I'm making my own YouTube content or anything composing. And I think um, uh, I I appreciate when I see content that way as well you know i think in, in a strange way it does kind of connect back to um what you were saying of like listening to your inner voice uh in terms of when you're making content but also in terms of uh you know you kind of have to listen to that inner voice if you want to try to seek out content instead of it just being kind of handed to you you know mm -hmm. what i mean yep um yep. i think that's part of the reason i uh I guess like the way I've listed that is part of the reason why I always try to seek out that content, uh, whether it's, you know, video games, music or whatever. I mean, there's, there's plenty of times people have like, uh, tried to show me like a game that's popular. I'm like, mm, I, I understand why people, it's just not for me. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I've talked about this with you. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of league of legends. Uh, I have a lot of respect for it and I understand why it's a thing. Uh, but you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna, just play it because that's what people are telling me to play, you know? Like, now, do, I, do I, want I happen to have inside information that you are a fan of HOTS. And by inside information, <laughs> I mean you introduce me to it and we play it all the time. 
Yeah. yeah. I, I'm well. Yeah, I, I like Heroes of the Storm, of course. So like legal. Compare and contrast, if you would. Uh, yeah. And of course, we aren't just we aren't dissing League, right? League's no, an awesome game, it's all right. But compare and contrast what you think make makes Hots a more enjoyable game than League. For sure, because I mean, it goes without saying they are similar, but they're not the same for me. You know what I mean? Hots being Heroes of the Storm uh, by Correct. Blizzard, uh, for for people who don't know. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, they're they're both in the same genre of like of MOBAs, and I think that um. I think you have a really good question, Kari, because, I mean, they are similar-ish. But there's a couple things that um, Heroes does for me that makes me enjoy it more is that, um, first of all, I I find the movement to be a lot faster. Um, I know that uh, you've talked about that there's a lot more, like, micro-clicking and things like that for, uh, you know, trying to manage minion health because you want to get last hits and stuff. Uh, and so in, in the combat respective league, that I, I can understand. But I, I like that the actual character movement and the way you move across the map um, is, is a lot faster to me. I like that. Um, second, speaking of the map, uh, I love how there are different maps in the game. I think that it's really interesting because you have different shapes and sizes of maps. Um, the maps have different objectives um, that you know help lead towards victory. And because of all that, it makes um, character choice a little more important because there are some characters that are really good on certain maps and maybe not as good as others. And I think that at high level play, which is unfortunately not as much of a thing anymore, but uh, you know, from a theory standpoint, there are some characters where it's like, yeah, this character is good in the meta, but don't pick them on this map. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of has that self-correcting aspect to it where, yeah, we have bands and stuff in draft, but um, there's also like that kind of consideration. It adds a dimension um, where that League does. doesn't have. So League, the only dimension of of Hero Select, of, mm-hmm. of what are they, champions in League of Legends? Is it Legends? Yeah, Select? I think so. Are they champions? I think summoners cha- summoners yeah. and champions? Uh, yeah. The champion select is only about composition. It's only about the opponent's mm-hmm. team comp and your team comp. That's it. And team fights and versus maybe maybe right. macro uh, and laning, but that's that's your only consideration. But in HOTS, there's mm-hmm. a map consideration. Well, so there's a whole other dimension, on which you still have oh, to worry yeah. about the comp in HOTS. It's not like the comp. It's not like the comp goes away. No, the comp's the not enemies relevant. are still there. It's still very relevant. Yeah, yeah, but you have to consider the map as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Um and then uh the two other bit or the couple other big things I would say is that um uh, this is kind of two things in one. I love that Hots does not have a uh in-game and by in-game I mean in match shop. Hmm. I always hated that in hmm. MOBAs. Uh for two reasons. One, it it always kind of pulled me out of the experience of like you know being in that shop for so long and just like trying to pick things out and i know that like once you get better you know the things you're supposed to grab and stuff but like i didn't like that i'm like okay but i'm sitting back at home base like you have to be at home base to buy you know what i mean and also um, you can do it wrong there were so many times yeah. oh, absolutely. in league where i'd go back uh i'd back to base and then mm-hmm. i'd mean to buy one thing or and buy an accidentally buy a different thing or i would just yeah. wouldn't know what to do with a certain hero and i would buy something that i think would be good and immediately get flamed by my teammates what the hell are mm-hmm. you buying that on her for <laughs> right uh yeah. yeah 
And so, um, and kind of going hand in hand in that, I always felt that um, the the shop was always a bit too complex for my taste. I think there's so many items, there's so many number crunching, there's so many combinations. And this is this is one of those things I will say specifically that is a me personally thing. Mm. I'm just not a huge fan of like I like having like some number crunching and like you know you know build uh, composition, you know trying to figure out some things, but. There's certainly a limit for me where I'm like, I just want to play. I don't want to go mm. through menus so much. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, and this kind of leads to one of the other things I like more about Heroes is, well, what did they do to replace that, right? Because mm. um, they don't have it and they have talents. And I think talents are really fun. Um, one, because you can grab them you know, as soon as they're available for leveling, which I'll get to in a second because that's another thing I love. Um, as soon as they're available, you can just grab them doesn't matter where you are on the map you could even be dead doesn't matter you can pick your talent go for it and i think the talents are super cool uh because they correct me if i'm wrong but i think in league when you upgrade an ability it's usually just like you know stat boosts like you know more damage or stun or whatever right um each so each skill has levels i think it's three for the super and maybe mm -hmm. is it three for all of them maybe three or four for all of them i forget so something like that yeah but it, it just upgrades like stats right just like it a just damage makes it, or whatever. makes it better in some set way some specific way uh if it's right. a stun it might be duration if it's a heal it might be more healing whatever sure but it, but it's set right it's a set increment yeah. on that on that skill okay so that's what i was gonna say is one thing i think that's interesting about heroes is that um, it's when you pick a talent, it sometimes adds like a brand new functionality to a, a, a move. Like, you, like there was a, you know, you ha have an ability where it's like, uh, I'll just pick out Ragnaros because he's one of my favorite heroes, right? Like where his E, where he makes like this lava wave around himself, right? And explodes after a little bit, uh, gives you a speed boost while it's active, right? Mm. He has talents where it's like, okay, well, um, if you lava wave one of your allies after that blow one blows up now you get a lava wave for free right or it's like is if that a lava really wave hits is that really what he what he gets he really gets a and we can totally dive deep into nerding yeah. about hots no uh, no, no this, this is, is this is my one of his talents is that uh, he, he can get, he you get a that. new lava wave after you blow up a hero no, no, no. So what happens is, uh, so you know how you can lava wave an ally with him, right? And not lava wave, sorry, the um, the little circle thing he gets, right? I don't know. I never play as Rag. Okay. So for clarification for everyone, Ragnaros has this ability where um, you can target yourself or an ally to get kind of this uh, circle aura, right? Mm. And the aura for a couple seconds just gives you a small speed boost. But uh, after a short period of time, I forget how long, it will explode and damage anyone uh within that radius and I was you give that about. to an ally you can give it to yourself or an ally oh all the time or is that that's the increase that's no no, no. so that's all the time that's oh, his okay e. okay that's just what it does but there's a talent he can grab later on that is specifically if you give it to an ally so not yourself actually mm. no, no no it does work if you do it on yourself sorry after you cast that that e right um once it finishes you just get a second one on yourself afterward mm. so let's say i cast it on you right mm. you get the speed boost it blows up and then now i get one 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or like he has another talent for that, that um, when it explodes, if it hits an enemy hero, whoever that aura was on gets a small shield. Nice. Like a small amount of like shield boost. And it's things like that where it's like you start adding like functionality to these different moves. And like when you start building into certain um, uh, abilities that your character has in different ways, you start getting these um, really unique and varied ways of playing characters that aren't as like number crunchy as the shop. In that same, in the, in the, just in the same spirit, uh, I think one of the things that makes uh, Hots better than League is mm-hmm. you can pick your ult uh, every game. Yes. Uh, oh, I that's love having so <laughs> awesome, right? Because in, in League, your hero mm-hmm. has their ult. It is what it is. You know what that ult mm-hmm. is, and it gets stronger as you increase it, and and you know it levels uh, scaling. But that's it. The ult is what it is. But in yeah. Hots, you start a game and you know what your ult options are, and then mm-hmm. mid game you go, okay, well this team is really crashing a lot and we're doing a lot of fighting so i'm going to take my ult that's really relevant to the team fighting or you say we're spending a lot of time separate and i'm getting a lot of time alone so i'm going to take my ult that's Mm -hmm. more relevant to map pushing um for sure and i i think it goes without saying uh that you know anyone listening is probably gonna wonder uh are there times where it's just like this character really has only one good ult and yes there are there are times where characters who do you think only has one ult I don't know that any of my heroes that I play uh, have that. Have, like, only one useful one? Yeah. Well, one, you know what? I take that back. I would, say, I would say that Falstad <laughs> only has one, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, I, I, I have to look at the roster, but there are definitely characters where people are like, this ult's just not worth it. Um, I know that there are characters where it's certainly been that way for a time, and then there have been patches that have adjusted that. Junkrat is a case example of that. Hmm. There was a time where it's like, you play Rocket Ride. Riptire is not worth it. Like, mm-hmm. but I think Riptire has been buffed, or Rocket Ride has been nerfed, or both maybe. Where there are times where Riptire is good, um, uh, and then there, are, you know, of course, exceptions like you know Tracer only has one ult. <laughs> like she? she just only has one. Yeah, she just has bomb. Uh, oh. You can get um, her ult options at level ten. Basically, just give the bomb different functionality. Mm-hmm. But ultimately no pun intended uh your ultimate is just the sticky bomb um side note if you like uh what you were saying about having different ult options have you ever messed around with uh with alarak i have not okay reason i ask is because i don't know if he still has this but back when i played him uh so as with everyone as with most characters you have two ultimates you pick them at 10 but if i remember correctly at level 20 uh, one of his options is to just have his second ultimate. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's par for the course. Uh, the that's level, really the cool. level twenty buffs are one of the things that I love the most about Hops because yeah. I play a lot of Vala, right? So yeah. Vala, she's good. She's she's good mm-hmm. for the whole game, but then twenty comes. I think yeah. it's Ranker. And you get something like thirty percent attack speed at max hatred. Oh yeah. Uh, and it's just there now. You've got your pow- now. You've got your power, right? And it doesn't yeah. happen until twenty for her. Uh, with I like that Nexus Blades is applicable mm-hmm. for two of the heroes I play. So what's his, what's his name? Butcher and Illidan. Yeah. I think both have Nexus Blades at twenty, I think which is just yeah. flat thirty percent damage plus attack speed. So yep. 
It's awesome. Yeah. And then the last thing I was going to say that I, I do really like about Heroes uh, a bit more, and this, this is a bit of a deep dive as well, um, because I think there are definite pros and cons, but uh, the XP system. Um, I So for those of you who don't know, uh, let me backtrack for a second. In League, um, your XP is individually calculated per player. Yep. So, um, yeah, you're playing well, you level up, you get stuff faster, uh, you know, stat boosts, uh, abilities, etc. right? Um, and so I will say one thing that is kind of cool about that system is that you can uh, play a bit more individually because of that, and you can, like, kind of carry your team. And as someone who loves fighting games, I, I have some amount of respect for that, of, like, that sense of individuality, of, mm-hmm. like, being able to not need to rely on the team as much. But having said that... I do like Heroes XP system a bit more. So how it works is that um, you are gathering XP, hmm. um, but it goes into a uh, a team XP pool, if you will. And then once your team hits a certain threshold, uh, collaboratively, you level up, right? Yep. So that part in and of itself is not super duper interesting. But what makes it interesting to me is how the XP is calculated is because if you're spread out in the different lanes, uh, you'll get more XP. So like if you're um, near minion, like it's like, I think it's like if you're in a lane by yourself and you're, you know, getting minion kills, you'll get more XP or if you, well, it's physical uh, now, sorry, the, the XP is physical now they're orbs. Yeah. Yeah. They are. Yeah. But, but still like, uh, uh, but it still works out that way because, like, uh, if you're in a lane with two other people, you're still like only still one person is getting those orbs. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's just so you still it's not, to it's maximize not raw XP. calculated as far as I think it was. It used to be that it was your distance from the minion when it died, and as long yeah. as you were within a certain range, then you got would get all of it. But if two of you were right. in the range, then you would split it. But now. It's yeah. orbs where that minion, right. that enemy minion is only going to drop one EXP orb. And so either mm-hmm. you pick it up or they pick it up. And so no right. longer is it no longer is a single minion going to be able to split its experience, even though it gives the same amount of total experience to the team. Right. But what I was, was going to get to is that. So what this does is it creates really interesting uh, strategies and really interesting character designs. Mm. So in terms of strategies, it uh, creates this uh, idea of split pushing of like, you know, you go just, you know, if you're a fast hero who can move between lanes quickly, right? Um, you know, you kill all the dudes in your lane, get all the XP, hop down and help uh, help your teammates in a team fight, then hop back. Yep. Like, that, it's really cool that there's characters doing that. And getting back to the maps, there are maps that facilitate that better because there's not as much distance between the lanes. And I think that's super cool. But then from a, a, a hero design standpoint, right? It opens up this entire design space of like, okay, if you get more XP by being uh, in different places on the map and like spreading across lanes, that allows you to create characters who are designed around getting that XP. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're one of your favorites. Murky is a case example of that. Mm-hmm. He just, just eats XP and it's amazing. Um, Asmodan, one of my favorites, he can uh, plop a, uh, a minion anywhere on the map. Um, so he could be in one lane and put his minion in the other and effectively get more XP that way. Hmm. Uh, one of my other favorites, Ragnaros, has an ultimate where it just annihilates a, an entire lane of minions. 
And it's like, okay, well, if I'm in one lane, I'll put the wave in the other, destroys that, I get the XP. The wave collects XP? I think so, yeah. That's I how he's always getting those crazy oh, yeah. XP numbers from Rag. Oh, yeah. Yep. Wave it, gives you XP. It must collect, it must collect XP. Yeah. I never thought about that, but it must because he gets sick yeah. Uh, yeah. experience And the XP numbers aren't nearly as high when you um, when you play the other ult. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah. Um, and then Abathur is, of course, the, the, the Abathur and the Lost Vikings are, of course, the really weird out there character designs that embody that mentality, right? Of like being in multiple places at once and getting that XP. I uh, I tried to play a little little Vikings. I suck with Vikings. They're so uh, weird. I played a little Apather. <laughs> I suck with Apather. Um, I went in with. I played some Butcher last night. Uh, mm-hmm. It's so sad. It's just so satisfying because yeah. you're this big fat wimp in the early levels. That's what you are. You have to play as a big fat wimp in the beginning. Mm-hmm. As soon as the team starts fighting, you back off in levels yep. 1 4 even even up to 7. Uh you yeah. you just you don't die. You do if you do not die before you get to 200 meat, then once you get You're 200 fine. meat, dude, now now go die. <laughs> now you just yep. you dive bomb cuz if you I think if you get if you get a one hero death, I think they mm-hmm. drop 20 meat. But yeah. A death after 200 doesn't yeah. leave any meat, doesn't lose any meat. So even before 200, it's worth it if you're going to die to get the meat versus not getting that death at all. Um, mm-hmm. So you'll get a, a net five increase. But after 200, yeah. there's no there's no risk. It's either you don't get any or you get all of it. Uh, and so yeah. you can really start to dive. And But the calculation you have to make as a butcher, mm-hmm. uh, and this is item a little bit of experience butcher, so now I know this. You, you mm-hmm. have to calculate as whether you're going to survive the team fight or not and whether your team's going to win the team fight or not because if you die early in the team fight and then three other enemy heroes die in the fight even if they end up with the last hero standing which is to say you lost that's still 60 meat that you didn't get because you died yeah. too early in the fight and mm-hmm. so you have to not to mention you lost meat because of dying no it, even after 200 before 200, oh, even after 200, even after 200 yes. Yeah, so before 200, yes, that's that's a very bad decision. Yeah, yeah. But I, even yeah, after yeah. 200, when you get that, when you get a little bit of courage, you still mm. need to survive long enough to to collect as much meat as going to be dropped by heroes yeah. over that over the course of that team fight. That's very important to to snowball as a butcher. I think one other thing you just alluded to a little bit that I also really love about heroes is um, is quest talents. Uh, and quests. So I, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think this is really a thing in League, right? No, no, not even. Okay. Close. So there's, to just, clarify, there's no system for it. It just doesn't exist. Okay. So to clarify, uh, some characters have this built-in baseline, like Butcher, but there are other characters who you uh, pick a talent that has this thing, where um, sometimes the talent gives you something, um, you know, immediately or like you know along the way, but. Uh, usually the point of quest talents is you have to collect something or do something or like hit a hero with something X amount of times. And then once you do that over the course of the match, then you get like this big upgrade. So the, in the case of what Kari is talking about, there's, you know, the his, his character that he likes butcher. Um, you have to kill minions and heroes and then they drop this meat and you have to collect the meat and you start at zero and, um, Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you do get some passive upgrades along the way to 200, right? 
you you do, but to okay. to put a differentiation, but it's not um, it, it matters a little. But to put a differentiation between quest, what you said at first, and the meat mm-hmm. on butcher. So the meat on yeah. butcher is a stack. Uh, I would right. call, and so there is a stacking system in League. A lot of heroes have stacks, mm, and so okay. uh, yeah, a lot of the uh, I used to play Nasus. Nasus has a stacking system, so a lot of hero, mm-hmm. a lot of champions in League have a stacking system that would be like okay. the Butcher's Meat, or I think who else has a stack, or or Mur- or Murky's um, R- bribe is a stack. Mm. Uh, so the stack, okay, okay. the stacking system is present in both games, but the quest okay. system that is unique to heroes is where mm-hmm. so in Gul'dan after you collect so many exp orbs yeah. yeah after you collect so many exp orbs then it boosts this talent so it's kind of like an extra talent boost that applies yeah. to different or in Vala after you do 100 auto attacks then you get mm-hmm. this then you get a, a, an attack damage bonus and so that is yeah. unique to heroes and- for sure. And sometimes it is just an attack damage bonus, but sometimes it's brand new functionality as well. Like I said, I mean, uh, you mentioned Gul'dan. He has uh, the, he has one talent for his uh, for his E, which you just do. Uh, it does like three explosions in, mm. that are like each circles in a row. Right. Mm. And um, what's really cool. So the, the quest talent for this is you hit uh, 40 heroes, I think, uh, with this That's ability. Right. Yep. And um, it's interesting because you pick this talent and when you pick it, it does nothing. It just gives you this quest. But once you complete that quest, it gives it the brand new functionality of like, okay, now instead of it being three circles that go out in front of you, one, two, three, it's three circles that go out and then it snakes back. So it's like one, two, three, and then it goes three, two, one and explodes backwards and gives you a lot more damage. And so it creates... Uh, really, not only does it create this interesting thing where you have brand new functionality, but it creates this kind of dynamic gameplay of what you're explaining of like risk and reward of like, okay, do I try to uh, really go for getting those hits? How worth it is it to try to get those hits? Or as a Gul'dan player, maybe you realize I suck at getting these hits and I, uh, because of that, I shouldn't play this talent because it will literally give me nothing because I can't get those hits. And you know what? If that's the case, that's fine. You don't have to play that talent. There's so many others that characters have, or there's tons of other characters who have other cool talents. And that's stuff. absolutely so. right. Hots creates a unique player experience that's controllable just yeah. by the player, just by you. So in league, <laughs> You get a unique experience every game, but it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with the champion you choose. Once you choose Ash, it's going to be the same Ash. The only thing that makes it different is what dragons spawn, what the enemies are, who your teammates are, what they choose to do, the choices that other people make. That's fine. But yeah. you yourself, the hero's the same, or the champion's the same every time. But in heroes, you have this variability that... Mm-hmm you bring to the table and it's just you it's not depending on anybody else you can i can fire up a game and go okay i really want to go for a march of the march of the murlocs murky that's that's where i go into the game for and i can play it and then next next match i can play the same hero and say okay Mm -hmm. i'm going for team fight tougher fish krill time to krill murky uh, same hero, completely different skill set, and have a completely different experience, even if the map is the same and the enemy heroes are the same, which won't happen, and the teammates are the same, which won't happen. But even if everything else is the same, I can have a different experience because there are variables yeah. that I control. 
uh, and it's really cool. And I, you know, now that you put it in those words, I think it it really drives home another reason why I think I've liked it is that um, you know, as I've kind of alluded to, and uh, for the listeners, and as you very much know, a lot of uh, my my uh, you know, there's a lot of different video games I play, but in terms of multiplayer, I, I have a huge background and passion for fighting games, and mm-hmm. one of my favorite things in a well-made fighting game is that. Um, characters have so much room for player expression and um, they're designed in such ways where there are, uh, you know, they have archetypes and things they do well, but like there's enough options where um, you see two players playing the same character, but they play them so differently. And I think Heroes really does have that uh, built in with their, with the characters and the talent system is like, um, you know, there are characters who do things, uh, you know well but um the way you build the characters and the way that you pick talents and the way you play the characters can create so much variety um even from player to player yeah what would you are you playing any fighting games now yeah so these days uh i'm mostly still playing uh tekken i mean killer instinct is my favorite but it, that's I mean, right didn't you tell me you just got a new or maybe it was a coworker who was telling me he's really into the new Tekken. Is there a new Tekken? No, no, no. There was um, uh, it's still Tekken Seven, but there was a recent uh season four update. Mm, that I think I probably what, told you about. Okay, yeah, that's what it was. So the season four update is interesting. I mean, it's it's so far good, I would say. But um, you know, there's the usual stuff of like um, every character gets a uh, you know, at least one new attack, and you know, they've rebalanced some of the roster. Um, but the big changes I would say were that they uh. Um, they improved the netcode uh, a bit, so it's uh, considerably better. It's still not the best netcode on the market, but it is considerably better. And uh, they added uh, a new character and a new stage. Uh, but I cannot understate uh, how important it was for them to improve the netcode and uh, rebalance the roster. <laughs> because Season 3 had some balance issues what were they for sure um well they introduced two characters who um they both had their own issues but they were both extremely ridiculous on launch so uh first one who um he i'm trying to think of it he's a super cool visual design but um when he came out at launch like at the launch of i mean when he came out um he was. It was very clear he was a jack of all trades character, which is fine if you have a jack of all trades. What's character. his name? Uh, Leroy Smith. Uh, he is a old uh, black guy from New York who's Wing Chun master. He nice. looks awesome. People freaked out when they saw his visual design because it is fucking. And he's a cute ass pug too. Because um, <laughs> why not? But the thing about Leroy was um, basically every one of his moves that he had, like he had, he had moves we're that talking like, you about know, a, like, we're talking about a, a an incredibly physically fit tattooed black guy with a yes. gray gray white uh, full beard and mustache and also shoulder length gray white dreadlocks and shades, mm-hmm. and he has a cane. And he walks with a cane that he obviously doesn't need. He's just going to hit people with it. Exactly. And yeah. you can do that, actually. You should uh, once per that. match. Makes sense. Once per match? Yeah. What? Only once per match. It's really good. Oh, okay. It's, it's very... Okay, actually, it was busted at launch. It was 
stupid good when he first came out. Um, but anyway, so the thing with Leroy when he first came out was um, that he had a lot of moves that, um, you know, a lot of like generic uh, Tekken moves that, you know, are present across quite a few characters, which, you know, makes sense. He's a jack of all trades character. Mm. But the properties of pretty much all those moves were like, better than everyone else's mm. <laughs> like there's you know some characters who it's like okay this character has a really good uh version of like this attack of like uh, uh i'll get a little more technical i guess for the people who know but like of like a down four one of like a mid poke right uh or like you know very good uh you know this character has like good lows to open the opponent up or whatever right or like this character is good at uh, fast counter hit moves and Leroy was just like hold my beer I'm good at all of those things hmm. so he was jack of all trades uh, master of all and he was easy to play he was not executionally demanding at all he's very easy to play and then icing on the cake he had the cane which was completely unique to him which is cool that's a unique design thing but it was stupidly powerful and completely unique to him uh, on top of all the other things he had that were basically just like effectively being a boss character because he had better versions of things that a lot of mm. other characters had. Uh, and so the first major tournament that happened uh, when he came out uh, was Evo Japan, which is like a really big tournament in Japan. And in the top eight, there were seven Leroy's which is not common in Tekken <laughs> at all. That's not common anywhere. It's no. In the top eight, that'd be like the final eight of uh, of GSL Korea mm-hmm. being eight Zergs and one Protoss. Yep. You go, okay, yeah. something's wrong here. That's effectively what this yeah. was. And uh, they gradually uh made him weaker over time which uh, to be fair i do appreciate that approach with balance like a more gradual approach uh just to i i don't like when developers like nerf or in things into oblivion or like just buff things absurdly and it's like it throws everything out of whack you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but so they got him to a place last season where he was still top tier but not stupid mm-hmm. Which is like, okay, at least that's bearable. But now they've like adjusted him a bit more. But it wasn't just Leroy was the problem. Because after Leroy came out, um, and Leroy, at the point in time where we're at now, I'm going to tell you about uh, from season three, Leroy was still strong, but um, he was, yeah, he, he was at that point where he was top tier, but not stupid. But this other character comes along named Fakumram, and he's this big, to- uh, uh, big, uh, Muay Thai fighter and tons of tattoos, super muscular, very weird proportions, I really see. tall guy. We're talking about an ex- an ex- an a proportionally exaggerated uh, yes. as far as typical male muscle distribution. So this guy's just, imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime uh, plus a little cartoonish yeah. exaggeration. A Thai fighter covered in scars and tattoos. Mm-hmm. Appears to be a, yeah. I mean, I would guess he's a I don't know. It looks like a Samoan guy with the face tattoo. Mixed race. Uh, is he Thai? I don't know what is. He's Thai. He's supposed he's to be Thai. Covered in scars and tattoos. Jeez Louise, you, can, you yeah. can't even make out his skin tone. It's Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, I, I will say that he has a surprisingly interesting story, despite having a... I don't know how I feel about his design. 
But yeah, because uh, uh, long story short, he fights for his family because the Thai government. Let me backtrack. The Thai government is essentially has kidnapped his family and is using uh, him as a weapon Mm. uh, because he's that strong and basically says, like, you need to keep fighting people for us or else you won't see your family. And once you defeat everyone we need you to, you'll get to see your family. Mm. So I do have a little bit of sympathy for the guy, but overall, like, eh. Um, So anyway, Fuck Em Rom um, was an interesting case because, first of all, uh, Leroy, when he came out, it was very clear, very quickly, that Leroy was ridiculous. Fakum Ram, we didn't really realize, and it took a more, it took a little bit more time for us to see that mm. he was ridiculous. Mm. And part of it was, um, like he did have some moves that were some aspects about him that were very, very good, and that was clear. Like, uh, uh, as you can see by his proportions, he's a really tall guy. So, like a lot of his, he had attacks that had quite a bit of range. Uh, some of his damage output was absurd at times, but um, it didn't seem terrible at first. Um, what There were a couple things, though, that started to make it more apparent, and um, part of it was intentional character design, but part of it seemed buggy. Um, <laughs> so, first of all, he had, uh, despite being a giant man, he had some of the best mobility in the game. His backdash was really good, uh, covered so much distance. His sidestep, because uh, Tekken is a 3D game, um, his sidestep, so his sidestep was weird, partially because of his proportions. So um, generally in Tekken, a lot of characters that are smaller um, are a bit more agile, have larger sidesteps, as you'd kind of expect. Okay. But there were some moves that characters with the best sidesteps uh, could not, and Fakum Rum could. But then at the same time, there were moves that some of those tiny characters were the only thing, uh, like uh, they were the only ones who could sidestep those things, and Fakum Rum couldn't. So it was like he had a simultaneously really good, but at times not incredibly good sidestep. But point is, it usually worked in his favor, and part of this was hitbox stuff with him Mm. and then the icing on the cake was that like there were times where i don't know the exact reason why but there were times where it felt like the hitbox on like his shins would kind of just disappear Mm. (laughs) in just like weird situations where he'd like dash and you do a low to clip his his shins and it's like nope just didn't didn't hit didn't register would it hit the stuff like that would it hit the model would the mesh make contact but the hitbox wouldn't (laughs) yes oh so bad (laughs) Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's like times in fighting games where that is an intentional choice for balance, but like you could tell in this situation it was not. Mm. It it clearly didn't look like it. Mm. Um, And usually the times where I'm talking about where you have those exceptions are not with the character's hurt box. It's more of like the hit box of a specific move that your character is doing. Usually... When you're trying to hit someone, their hurt box is meant to be very clear for understandable reasons, mm, you know. Mm. Um, and with Fakum Ram, it just wasn't. So over time, they, um, you know, even before season four, they uh, adjusted stupidity of uh, things just weirdly missing. Uh, they made his sidestep absolutely horrendous. He has one of the worst sidesteps in the game now. Uh 
but his backdash and damage and all that stuff was still intact. Uh, and so again, he was in a similar place to Leroy where it's like, okay, he's no longer stupid, but he's still absurdly good. Uh, and so now he's been toned down a little bit more in season four as well. I think they're both still really good characters. Don't get me wrong. Um, but the thing with, uh, with Tekken is it's certainly one of those fighting games where like tears matter, but not as much as some other fighting games. Like for the most part in Tekken, um, most times you can pick just about anyone if you're, you know, good enough slash, you know, play them well enough or figure stuff out. Um, the system mechanics, you can, if you're good enough at the system mechanics, you can win with just about anyone. Usually there's obviously characters that have distinct advantages who are going to be higher tier or what have you. Um, but usually you can win with just about anyone. Um, season three did not feel that way. Partially because of these characters. Who are you playing these days? Um, so, Late in season three, um, and now in season four, I found uh, a character I really liked uh, named Feng, uh, F E N G. And uh, he's a really cool and interesting character. So, for clarification of some people, he's uh, um, kind of like muscular Chinese um, kung fu master. I forget specifically what type of kung fu he uses. And he has like a braided ponytail and stuff like that. Um, and flashy yeah. pants. He has flashy pants. Uh, also, in an older Tekken game, he had a really flashy red suit. Uh, if you look that up, it's amazing. Uh, Tekken 5 Fang suit. It looks so slick. Oh, it's a business suit. Yeah, but he's got like the pop collar and Blazer. everything. It's like a you know, bright button red down, suit. Button down, so unbuttoned dope. to his sternum. Yep, and like, you know, bright maroons it looks dope uh anyway so um part of the reason there's a couple things i've really liked about him um is that um he's pretty well-rounded i would say uh he has he has very good tools for up close uh and for a bit farther away um but at the end of the day one thing that does uh play into both of those uh styles well is that a lot of his moves um have some evasion so like they you know make his hurt box move in certain ways where it's like it's not exactly what you'd expect and so you know you have to uh the opponent has to be a little bit wary about approaching him or something like that uh or like their counter attack it's not to the point like fakamrom where it's like busted it's absolutely not it's like very counterable it's just like it's like a small trait of him that um he has and you have to unlike you know, the Fockham Rum bugs, as the Feng player, you have to be smart about how you use the evasion. It's not like the evasion will cover all options or there might be like, um, you know, it, it might be risky to do it because if you F it up, then like the opponent can you know hurt you for it kind mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact is he has it. So if you use it well, it's very good. Um, but have you broken down any, have you done any YouTube videos where you break down fighters in different fighting games and the advantages and disadvantages they have? I haven't really. Um, part of the reason is that my YouTube channel already has uh, a specific kind of content mm. there. Mm. Um, so I'm trying to like, can't keep it a bit consistent, uh, namely with game audio. And also there's so many other channels that do it incredibly well mm. already. And that's mm. where I 
get some of my information from, namely with Tekken, because Tekken is like the first, uh, this is Tekken 7 is like the first one I've really dug my heels into. So I would not be nearly as far along with it as I am in like understanding characters if it wasn't for a bunch of really good content creators. Um, it's still it's still baffling to me just how accurate people are with with fighting game controls. Uh, I cannot do it. I'm a button masher. I just do the mm-hmm. fireball motion over and over and over and then end it with a random strike button and <laughs> hopefully I do something that covers 60% of the screen and then I'll just do that mm-hmm. repeatedly until you die or I die. That's how I play I fighting mean, games. I mean, part of it is 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 time and part of it is um you know, like we were saying with Hots, like learning characters. Well, I'm, etc. but I'm talking about just the pure mechanics. So, yeah, sitting down so, to a fighting game, how mm-hmm. can I possibly see you jumping and then press down, forward, back, A, B, up in a semicircular <laughs> motion? Why in that sequence every what three hundred times out of three hundred and one times mm-hmm. I press that button combination? That's what actually happens. I cannot. I, it's, so there, it's there's a couple answers to that question. There's a couple answers to that question. Uh, one is that you don't always have to do all that uh, because uh, a lot of characters that are good at um, you know anti-airing uh, will have different options. And so like there are ones like that where you have to do an input uh, and then a button press and you get a really powerful um, anti-air. But that same character might also have much easier options. I mean, Ryu is the case example of that in Street Fighter. I mean, he's the case example for a lot of things in fighting games where uh, Tuke is really strong, like, you know, uppercut where he jumps into the air, right? You have to do like forward, down, down, forward, punch. Uh, and, you know, for some people, that can be a lot to do in the heat of a match. I still sometimes I'm like, I'm not gonna you know, <laughs> be able to. But uh, Ryu also has a bunch of other really good anti-air options where it's just like down and punch. Like that's that's really easy, like very yeah. straightforward to do, you know, and like, sure, you might not get like as much damage or you might not like, uh, you know, get uh, it might not look as flashy or whatever, but like it still does the job and keeps your opponent from jumping in. It puts that fear in there. Sa- like, OK, he's ready. He's going to anti air me. I can't just jump in. Now I have to you know, stay more grounded. You know, I think uh, fighting just- games might have led the way with Can- sub second reaction times. Um, no, I, I think I think that's relatively accurate. I would say I think that is what, uh, a genre. What game genre- but, but, wait, wait, but one other thing. Sorry. Mm-hmm. One other thing. No, 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 no you're say. fine. You're fine. Is that uh, the other answer to your question is that um, with some players, it's not always entirely a reaction, because if you get to a point where uh, you're starting to understand your opponent's habits, you're not necessarily reacting uh, to them being in the air. You're already looking for it and you already have a very good idea that they're going to do it. Yes, now and that's so, the that's the strategy part of it, but I'm just talking about right. the mechanics. Even if you I, had the strategy, yeah. you still can't do it until they're about to go to the spot. And that's, you know, I could actually as a person you could do can, the though. I could do the strategy, but I just can't yeah. I can't do the mechanics. My fat finger uh, like you wouldn't believe. But like the but having the strategy helps inform your mechanics. 
it makes them it allows you to do those things sooner because you already have an idea that's I think you're, I think you're overestimating coming. my mechanical ability. <laughs> you've, no, 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 you've never I'm, seen I'm me play a fighting generally. game. I'm worse I'm than you think. Generally. Generally? I'm just saying generally. Oh, okay. Yeah, as a, as that, a person. Yeah, like people as people who are playing fighting games, like a lot of the time, uh, you're not reacting to it immediately when they jump. Like if you're if you're looking for it, that can help you react to those things faster. That's you fair. generally. A lot of a lot of people are are good at fighting games. It's a beautiful yeah. genre. Um, yeah. And I do. Th- so do you? Th- would you think that it was the first to bring us into the age? Because we're certainly in the era now, where yeah. Good games, uh, good competitive mm-hmm. games, require some sort of sub-second, either information gathering time and button press time, or, hmm. or usually both. So I'm thinking of CS:GO. I'm thinking of first-person shooters. I'm thinking of StarCraft yeah. II. Right. So the really high-level competitive games, you're reading information and reacting to that information in under a second for a stretch of about 20 minutes. Uh, yeah um i mean i i I don't want to uh (laughs) explicitly say like yes this is the definitive answer but like i i do think a lot of people have said that fighting games are one of the earliest um you know competitive genres in that sense Mm. uh in video games um in that even though they're not nearly as big as other esports these days it was certainly one of the earliest uh genres that was uh you know played competitively that had that that skill cap that was so high that you Mm -hmm. and and was and was intentionally set that high and could be performed at that level such that you could even have a professional class there's no such thing as a professional class it's hard to say how much of it was yeah i mean well it's hard to say how much of it was intentional um in terms of the development in terms of like having that ability to or that like room to play exceptionally well um i mean i think there's no question that uh i mean street fighter 2 is of course the case example because that was like kind of the granddaddy right where they definitely intended some things like certain characters are good at things and like there's some attacks like um you know fireballs that you know have specific motions mm-hmm. or uh you know you're able to react to jump ins and that kind of thing mm-hmm. oh and remind me in case i forget there's one other thing i want to say about jumping uh but um, there are certain mechanics where um, they were not intended, or they were bugs, or the the classic example. Well, what is, I mean uh, is is the games were designed with skill in mind, uh, and so oh, maybe oh, oh. they were designed with okay, some players are going to be better than others. So kind of like chess, right? When when somebody yeah, yeah. who's not good at chess sits down mm-hmm. to play somebody who is good, there's a zero yeah. percent chance. That that person who isn't good is going to beat the good. There's no luck. There's no beginner's luck yeah, yeah, in chess. If you suck at it, you suck at it, and you're going to play somebody who's better, and you're going to lose. Uh, and the yeah. same. And so they built the games with skill in mind, where you can be a that better is. player than somebody, and then when that worst person comes in, you're going mm-hmm. to beat them 100% of the time because you're better than them at this thing. And I have to say that, unfortunately, fighting games have made that less and less of a thing. Have they? <laughs> Fortunately or unfortunately, yes. No. They put in like more comeback mechanics and uh, made certain inputs easier and this, that, and the other. Skill's important. Protect it skill. Is. I agree. Yeah. I, I No, I agree. And I, I think there are some games that uh, certainly do protect that. Um, but there are other games in the genre who 
uh, have, have, you know, explicitly said, like the developers explicitly said, we're trying to make it easier for newcomers or bring down the skill floor. And I'm like, okay, there are ways, don't get me wrong, there are ways to lower the skill floor without lower the skill, without lowering the skill ceiling. But yes. I think that a lot of games. Oh, aren't, that's such that's don't... such so beautifully said. There are ways to lower the skill floor without mm-hmm. lowering the skill ceiling. Yes. Yes. But I think there are quite a few games in the genre that are not doing that well. Mm. Um, they're kind of doing both inherently, and and the there's this problem with it in that um, the yes, you can get lower level players into the game easier. But intermediate level players get more frustrated because, like, you know, sometimes they kind of get robbed, so to speak. Um, And then higher level players, well, it doesn't matter because they're going to crush the lower level players no matter how easy you make the game. Mm. And so then the intermediate higher level players usually get left with this game that isn't quite as deep or interesting or requiring as much skill. And it's not as enjoyable to them because it's not it doesn't it lacks some of that depth imagine imagine if in chess when you were up on an opponent by four pieces which is quite a lot right in chess Mm -hmm. then the next time their pawn captures it captures two pawns automatically what kind of silly (laughs) i know what kind of silly rule would that be that's so terrible yeah um but like i said there are um there are games in the genre that have um you know, done it in very tasteful ways or have like made it okay. Like executionally, maybe it's not as demanding, uh, like in terms of like the physicality, Mm. but there's other aspects about this game that are, um, harder or like things you have to think about because of that. I think, um, uh, two really, uh, great games in that respect are, um, fantasy strike and rising thunder, uh, which is unfortunately, well, I'll get to rising thunder in a bit. That's its own case, but fantasy strike is really interesting because, um, it has no special move inputs. Um, it's, I think only three buttons. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, and so what's interesting is that, um, moves that would require special move inputs in other games. So like, uh, the uppercut you were talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a character in um, in Fantasy Strike who has that same kind of uppercut. Okay, cool. But it's like, that uppercut is really powerful in other fighting games, but now if you could just do it with the touch of a button, that seems broken, right? <laughs> that seems ridiculous. Uh, but... <laughs> Fair enough. Because it's, uh... because it's, so it's, what we're doing is this, uh, what, what I'm imagining. I'm mm-hmm. for protecting chess as a game of skill right it would be stupid right. if if you were down by uh five four 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 five pieces at the late game then you get to move twice before the opponent moves once yeah. that's that's game breaking but there are other not every game needs to be chess right so no, i'm i'm for not. moving opening the genre opening the the yeah. fighting genre to include games that just don't have as deep of a skill base as your Tekkens yeah. and your Street Fighters. Just make sure, gotcha. make me a but something that's simple. You know, there's no such yeah. thing as checkers. Sometimes I don't want to play chess, yeah. but I still want to do. <laughs> it's true. It's a good sometimes point. I still want to do. I'm a I'm a rock hero and I throw stuff and I'm fighting one mm-hmm. guy. Sometimes I still want that, but I don't want yeah. this super intense, uh, mechanically demanding experience. Gotcha. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that is happening well with fighting games is that uh these days is that um 
there are um the genre is expanding where we have more games that are i guess more similar to that analog of checkers but i think that what you're also saying is right is that the games that have been considered like um you know in this analogy of chess uh, i think there are certain games in the genre that have been that before and have really started to um, reduce that whether it's from a strategy standpoint or like a physical standpoint or who would you say is doing it and i I think you can do it tastefully right we aren't just bashing there's a such thing as constructive criticism right where we're just going to say listen i love your game but i think you're Mm -hmm. getting this wrong what would you say are doing that who would you say is doing that right now doing it not well yeah doing it not well yeah um my case in point has always been street fighter 5 um i think that um there it's it's gotten a bit better i will say uh but in terms of a design standpoint there were a couple things they did that i really um disagree with some of which have been alleviated a bit more some of which not the first of which was um they so there's this idea in fighting games of like uh links and how it works is that like you do one attack and that attack leaves the opponent reeling stunned whatever mm. for a certain amount of time mm. um and during that time you can um recovery a concept a concept that i i, I want to take the moment to say i am a so much i'm two times smarter yeah you know what i'm 10 times smarter because i came from a level of 0.1 percent fighting game knowledge a couple years ago yeah to now i'm a level one on a scale of 100 <laughs> and that's because of you so thank you yeah. very much you're welcome well that's more of a uh, hit stun than well i guess it is sort of recovery in a way but still point is so the opponent is in hit stun and hmm. if they are in hit stun for long enough you might have enough time to uh specifically time um your next attack so that it will combo Mm. so like you know uh it's specific timing though it's not just like you know tapping one two three there are games that have that it works well for that but in this context what i'm talking about is links which is timing it like that right Mm. and in street fighter 4 the previous game um there were a lot of uh what are called one frame links. So mm. meaning you have to time your button press within a 60th of a second. If that sounds hard, it is really. Mm-hmm. But the thing, but the thing is, um, I, um, I liked that. I like when uh, difficult execution of like one frame links, that kind of stuff exists in fighting games. I don't like where you necessarily need that mm. to play play the game mm-hmm. i like when there are options of characters. so this is one of these small issues that a lot of people have with street fighter 4 is that a lot of characters you really did need that and i can agree with that but getting back to five basically street fighter 5 they said okay no more one frame links everything's three frames uh, minimum and i'm just like what <laughs> like i'm okay with like maybe some characters only having three frame links but it's like if you take away the design space and also like the the play space for characters that are like difficult to do things with that's a whole dimension you lost that's not only the skill thing but also like the enjoyment factor there are people who love characters that it's like this is a hard character to physically do things with or control and you've just eliminated that entire archetype are is 345 still competitively 
um, relevant professionally. Still that, one of the largest. It's the largest. It is one it still of. is one is it still relevant with that that removal? It's it's still very relevant, but it's not as over encompassing as Street Fighter Four was. Mm. It, it used Street Fighter Four was basically like the okay that and Marvel vs. Capcom were like the dominant fighting games in terms of like tournament entrance um, back when those were in their heyday. Five has not been nearly as dominant. And mm. I think, I mean, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of other fighting games that have come out um, around the same, in this same era that have been very, very good. But I still strongly believe that um, these other games, like of like Tekken 7, um, you know, Smash Bros, Killer Instinct, etc., I don't think they would have gotten the numbers they would have if Street Fighter Five didn't have the issues it did. Like, I think that, I think Street Fighter Five would have still been, you know, dominant in terms of the entrant numbers if it was very, very good at launch or mm. didn't have these, like, skill reduction mm. things that people didn't like. Um, and there are other things as well where it's, like, um, certain moves have, uh, well, they've alleviated this a bit, but there were a lot of moves that had, like, low risk and very high potential re reward, uh, which I hated. Um, there were also some uh defend like um you know uh defensive options that they removed uh or made significantly weaker in Street Fighter 5 which I liked that because I thought it added more to the mind games of like you know the offender versus the defender mm -hmm. and um also there are very few characters uh even today who um have a more defensive uh or like keep out playstyle and I know, like, people can get frustrated by fireballs and, you know, projectiles and stuff. Uh, and I think that's part of the reason, of course, they um, reduce them in this game. But, again, like, you're... I mean, there are still some characters in 5 who can do it okay. But um, you've basically eliminated, like, or, or, like, greatly reduced an entire archetype. And that whole, like, mind game of, like how to move around and get in uh, on someone who's throwing fireballs or like fi somebody who has to time their fireball as well to keep you out. Mm. Um, and it also makes the game a lot more streamlined because, well, if keep out's not that good, then I either have to play mid range or just go in and be aggressive. And yeah, for the most part, a lot of characters in street fair five are some variation on that. So this this would be something like, uh, in the chess analogy, if if we said, okay, we're gonna remove the bishop and replace them with rooks, and so now instead of two bishops and two rooks, you have four rooks. You just remove you. It's it's looks like a similar game, but under at the at the high level, when you get yeah. to that skill threshold, it's a wildly different game. I, I think that's a relatively accurate uh, analogy. Yeah. Um, what did you want to say about was... jumping? Uh, hold on. I think there was one other thing I was going to say about five. I'm just trying to remember what it was. Um, uh, no, I think, I think that was mostly it. Um, cause from you told me, you told me to remember to ask you about jumping. So yeah. So the other thing I was going to say about jumping, and I know this is very specific cause your example was very specific about, uh, dealing with jumping, uh, people who jump in on you and typing in a specific thing. Mm. Um, there's games that, 
don't really emphasize jumping and you don't have to knock them out of the air like that. Um, mostly 3D games are great examples. Like Tekken, um, yeah. that's not really a game you should be jumping. And that's well, actually a game. There's some exceptions I got to a little, <laughs> I got a little traction uh, way yeah. back in, I couldn't even tell you what, it might have been Tekken, yeah. just just Tekken. Tekken one, yeah. <laughs> it might have oh, been played Tekken one. It might have been been that Tekken where I got a little bit of traction against people yeah. because there wasn't the jumping. Because it was all yeah. on one level. You, there was sliding in and out. Yeah. Uh, but it was mostly low spin kick and then high punch and then low spin kick and then high punch. This yeah. is just how I played because I'm terrible. It was just sure. knock them, knock them. There were knock ups. There were a lot of knock ups. Oh, and then there yeah. was the bouncing. So you knock them up and you just bounce them until they die. That was my whole yeah. strat. Good old juggling. Yeah, juggling. <laughs> that's there it is. Juggling. Yeah, uh, but no, and that and that's that's the thing. And uh, the, you know, there's absolutely pros and cons uh, to that. But you know, um, it's a different design space, and some people like that better, not having to think about those kind of things, and you know, maybe having to think about sidesteps mm. instead mm. or um, things like that. So. Um, you know, there's definitely that aspect to to consider. Um, and um, one of my other favorite fighting games uh, is uh, really interesting in the design space, being uh, Killer Instinct. And um, you know, similar to what we were saying. Forever. About the, is there even a new version? Uh, there was one that came out as an Xbox One launch title that they continued support for from 2013 to 2017. Okay. So. Um, and that one's, but there hasn't been one since. Please, Microsoft. Uh, anyway, uh, but similar to what we were talking about with the how XP is gathered in Heroes of the Storm, um, Killer Instinct has this one mechanic that seems simple at first, but opens up so many, so much design space. Uh, and that's the combo breakers. So in Killer Instinct, um, you, uh, let's say, you know, Kari, hypothetically, maybe it would never happen. A uh, cough, cough, uh, is doing a combo on me, right? Okay. Um, it wouldn't happen. That's not even hypothetical. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Me, I'm me saying. attempting a combo on you is a four-year-old walking yeah. up to an adult and hitting them in the knee because they're mad. That's right. what. <laughs> that's but what me just, attempting a combo on you. For the sake of is. argument, yeah, in this conversation. Yeah. I'm well aware. Two people. I'm well Where are the two aware. people? Okay. Uh, let's let's kick me out of the equation because it's it's not even so you versus Dan right sure so it's Dan doing the combo on you which is now you've you've really got a little fear in your heart right once he gets it going sure so he's doing a combo and um, as many people know like when you start a combo in fighting games a lot of times in fighting games combos are like the time where you capitalize and try to do damage because you've earned that opportunity to start it by you know approaching your opponent or whatever right Um, and so the interesting thing about combo breakers and killer instinct is that there's some games where it's like, Oh, you can just break out of a combo, you know, it costs like some meter or whatever. Right. Okay. Killer instinct. You can attempt to combo break any, um, when you are being comboed. Now, why do I say attempt? Because killer instinct has this very, um, specific combo system where like, um, your opponent is doing like light, uh, you know, will be doing a light attack, medium attack, or heavy attack at certain points in the combo, right? Mm. And so when I, as the person who's being hit, attempts the combo break, I have to press buttons that will, um, basically, I'm trying to say, is my opponent doing lights right now, mediums, or heavies, right? Mm. And um, 
if I um, guess correctly, it's not always a guess. So I'll get to that in a second. But if I get it correctly, then I break out of the combo and, you know, the whole match resets to neutral. Um, but if I guess incorrectly, I'm now locked out for three seconds, which means um, both me and the opponent know through a visual indicator three and audio, actually. seconds? Three seconds. I cannot try to break again. I thought you were going to say three frames. Nope. Three seconds. I cannot break for so three more seconds. So 180 frames on your standard running speed. Correct. Jeez Correct. Louise. So at, that, so at that point, Dan could see that and say, oh, well, now I can just do whatever the fuck I want and yeah. maximize my damage. And as a good player, you should. Um, <laughs> so, um, and so that's really... Um, I think what the developers are doing there, just just imagining it, they're yeah. really teaching you: do not guess wildly. Mm-hmm. You will be severely punished for just guessing. Right? You need to have some some skill and some knowledge when you're trying to counter, trying for to sure. break a combo. And there's there's more design space to this uh, that I do want to get to as well because um, you know heavy attacks. Um, as in most fighting games are slower, uh, but do more damage and light attacks are faster and do less damage. Right. But in killer instincts, when you're doing these combos that have heavy, medium, light, this makes a big impact because, um, heavy attacks, uh, in combos, um, the speed of them is designed so that they are seeable. Like you don't have to guess if you know what the animation looks like. And like, you can tell how slow it is or whatever. You can visually see a heavy, and break it uh where lights uh yeah you have to have a hard read you have to be like okay he's gonna go for lights i'm gonna do it you know what i mean it is more of a guess and so um part of the reason this is really interesting is that um uh well a couple reasons one when i get locked out um you know dan uh, you know could try to go for heavies but you have to think about like how many you want to do kind of thing you know uh because the heavies take longer and yes, they're doing more damage, but you only have three extra seconds of free reign. Uh, but the other big reason I love it is because there's a mechanic called counter breaker. So um, let's say Dan is comboing me as we said in this example, right? Um, and he's doing his thing at any point in his combo, he can intentionally go into a guard stance. And if I, as the person who is taking damage, tries to combo break into that guard stance, he'll get a counter breaker. And what that does is um, it uh, there's this combo system that prevents infinites. I'm not going to get in, into it too much, but point is he can get more damage because that kind of resets. Mm. Um, but more importantly, I as a defender are, am now locked out for four seconds. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, so, that's good. So part of What's interesting is like, yeah, heavies are seeable, so they're easier to break. But then there's the mind game of like, is he doing heavies to try to get me to break it because we both know I can visually see it? Because he wants to counter break. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so that's Jeez Louise. Yeah. And, and then this the is other why thing, I suck at these games. <laughs> right. But the other thing I do think you'd appreciate, which is the last thing I wanted to get to, of like Okay, it seems like you know, this is one thing, it's self-contained, right? But this is what I was getting to where similar to the Heroes XP system, it affects a, more, a lot more than you realize because um, because we have this combo breaker system, right? Um, getting 
that initial hit on the opponent um, isn't always, it can be, but isn't always as impactful, right? It's It doesn't necessarily, like, um, like, you still have to get it, but, like, it's okay that if you have, like, ridiculous ways of getting it or, like, that becomes easier to get. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and so because of that, you have this huge design space where it's like, okay, we can make these characters that have tools that would probably be broken or ridiculous in any other fighting game because they can now, you know, that this character can get this hit so easily. And in any other fighting game, that means big damage. But in KI, that doesn't necessarily matter. It's like, yeah, this character can get to that hit very easily, but it's up to the player to actually make that hit count and get the damage and not get broken mm. and not get their combo broken. Mm. So there's characters who have these crazy abilities. It's like, what? The, what is this? Like, why are they able to do this? It's like, well, this is why. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so you have these characters who um, have tons of things they can do, are really unique and expressive and have like these crazy designs that wouldn't make sense in other fighting games or wouldn't be logical to design in other fighting games because of this. But it's like, in this game, it's fine. I wonder if they're working you have on a, a new iteration. I hope so. A lot of people are hoping so. Um, I really don't know, and I really hope they do. But, um, yeah, it, it's a fantastic game for anyone who's curious. And I will say it's often on sale on Steam. Um, and I think it's free to it's free to download on the Windows Store and Xbox One. But if you want to, like, get all the characters and stuff, you have to pay money. It looks like they're still patching it. The most recent patch on their site is October 22nd, so about a month ago. Uh, yeah, I, I heard about that. Uh, the community got very excited and they're like, it's not an update. We're just having it have like <laughs> compatibility with like the new Xboxes. Oh, and everyone's yeah. like, oh, come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, but like if you look before then, there probably hasn't been an update since like 2017. Oh, wow. OK, yeah, it's yeah. just it's just the one. Yeah, it's just the one. <laughs> um, yeah, there was something else I was going to say. You play I, any, I uh, any other games these days? Uh, so my, my friend, uh, Ryan just lent me God of War and that's what I've been playing on uh, PlayStation it has been on PlayStation. Yeah. The newest one uh, from Sony Santa Monica. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I'm really enjoying it and, uh, I, I love Norse mythology. And so this is kind of playing into that a bit, uh, cause this one takes place, uh, in Norse mythology now. Um, the game is, you know, very well designed combat's fun the worlds are freaking gorgeous mm. uh some of the sound design is really cool specifically on the world serpent oh man the world serpent sounds dope uh but i would say the one thing that is a bit of a sticking point for me right now that i want to see how it progresses but I, i've heard it does get a bit better is just uh kratos <laughs> uh he's he's very he's a big dick to his kid and like i understand that um in the older games kratos was um i guess we could kind of argue toxically masculine uh in the older games because no. you know that was kind of like no what? not on my podcast i will not let Sorry. that phrase fly without serious fight on this podcast. i'm sorry toxic I'm sorry. masculinity ridiculous i'm sorry how to how toxically masculine <laughs> is zeus and jesus and all the other ideas of manhood that have come to bring up half of this species and all this species. What a ridiculous concept. Toxic masculinity. <laughs> it took me a while to realize that you were uh, what you were getting at with that. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I just, I mean, that that phrase is such a non-starter. Toxic masculinity? Okay. How about toxic femininity? How about toxic nutrition? Toxicity comes in all sorts of forms. There's nothing, I mean, there's does. no emphatically, you know, masculine. I mean, you could say, okay, there are forms of toxicity that are uniquely masculine, kind of like beating raping pillaging murdering okay that's fine but just don't you i i don't like it when people use that phrase as if to imply that the the toxicities that are uniquely masculine are Mm -hmm. some degree more toxic than all the other toxicities that's what i push against oh Uh, for sure i wasn't saying it was any degree you weren't you weren't but that phrase i'm triggered that phrase triggers me because uh, I'm a bleeding heart liberal in California, and I can't stand, uh, you know, the, the 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 side of culture where that whole talking point comes from. Uh, Jordan Peterson has described it as a feminine challenge to masculinity, mm. and so I get that part, um, mm. and I accept that part. So that's fine gotcha. as a, as a challenge, and so that, and that's why I stand up for it. I say you want to mm. you want to you want to show me toxic masculinity that's fine Mm -hmm. but here's what we're gonna what we're gonna discover together anytime we're looking for this event we're gonna find a fact we're gonna find an event we're gonna find a behavior and then we're gonna Mm -hmm. criticize that behavior as it came out of that person doesn't matter what their gender is doesn't matter what their color is what matters Mm -hmm. is how they behaved in that situation that's what matters no I, i understand that i guess what i'm saying is that um but you were you were talking about the Kratos character archetype, in terms of in the older games, mm-hmm. uh, in that um, m- maybe it's not the correct phrase, but he was you know very, very you know brutal and crass and extremely rude and like you know uh, you know angry and you know all all the above you know doing all the overly. I guess what I'm trying to get is even if it's not toxically masculine, it was like overly played how masculine the character was. You know what I mean? That's well, I what mean, I'm trying you to can, get. At. You can be a you can be a terrible asshole. That's yeah. a, that's a thing that a person can be. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. He, yeah, it's kind of some of that stuff, right? Yeah. And so I've heard, and I don't know how true this is because I haven't gotten far enough in the game, but I've heard that in this game he has a lot of character development, and that's what I'm kind of hoping is and i'm guessing it's gonna happen is that earlier in the game he's still very much a jerk and you know um kind of an asshole to his kid but that that um um relationship and that you know you know character interaction uh grows over time as he you know you know is going on this adventure with his kid and you know actually like raising him more kind of thing and mm-hmm. uh connecting with him more and uh, that he grows as a character and i i think that is what seems like it's starting to happen where I am in the game. And I've heard that it does happen more, but I'm kind of curious how it does because I can absolutely respect the hell out of character development. Mm. Like I'm not an amazing writer. I'm not going to, well, with music, I am (laughs) with, with music. I can write, but like when it comes to like characters and stories, I'm, I'm kind of just okay. And when characters have, uh, you know, are written very well or, you know, have like a, you know, um, defining traits or you know you you know you grow with them as the viewer uh or uh, a character has like a really well-written redemption arc which i think is few and far between um i can respect that so much and so i i kind of hope that it continues to happen uh here with with kratos 
That's but then good. other times, but other times I do like, like we said earlier, things that are just silly and over the top for the reason of them being silly and over the top. And we don't have to think about these serious things of character development. Things are just goofy and whatever, you know? I'm trying to think of the last game that I played where I was even remotely interested in the character development that was a uh, kind of an mm. a, kind of an art kind of an adventure game so uh God of War isn't RPG in that it it doesn't have stats that you choose or it doesn't I mean yeah so let me ask you you're playing it are mm-hmm. there RPG elements in God of War or is it adventure kind of more purely uh this one there definitely are I can't speak towards the older games but this one there are there are RPG elements. Correct. Okay. Uh, that's so you fine. have stats and you have things that boost certain stats and you have, uh, you know, certain equipments that give you like passives or, you know, things but, that might. So did you, could you, could you choose a different gameplay? I guess, you know, I can say it. the last game where I cared about mm-hmm. character development and narrative was GTA uh, San Andreas. Okay. That was the last time I played a game a where. Ago. It's been a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it was GTA San Andreas. I think mm. it was GTA. Because I play Minecraft, right? And I play a lot of Minecraft. And in Minecraft, yeah. there's no, you know, you're you're a Steve or you're a charging elephant in my case. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. Or you're in Smash Bros. all of a sudden, but that's another story. And where? What do you mean Smash Bros.? Oh, Steve and Alex got added to Smash Bros., didn't you hear? I don't know what you Steve from Minecraft? Yeah, Minecraft Steve. He's in Smash Bros. now. No. I'm serious. You didn't hear this announcement? The internet like blew up when it happened. I'm looking it up right now. I I, I kid you not. What? Twitter like broke down for a bit. Like it actually what? crashed for a bit when this got announced. Yeah. I don't see it. I need a screenshot or something. There's video footage and everything, man. Let me see this. <laughs> Smash Bros. I just blown Kari's mind here, everyone. <laughs> what? I can't find yep. it. What? It's definitely Super a thing. Smash Don't. Bros. I'll get Steve. you the launch trailer. Hang on. Search Minecraft, maybe. I don't, wanna, I don't want to play their audio. I just want to see it. This is, this is an announcement trailer. Yeah. Is there footage of him? Look at it! He's fighting Captain Falcon. Yeah. <laughs> Look, <laughs> this is so yep. terrific. Yes. Yep. He's yes. in. And there's crafting and everything. Yes. This is what needed to happen. <laughs> this singular act redeems all of 2020. A lot of Smash Bros. players disagree with you, but I personally Everybody agree disagrees with, you. with me. The coronavirus <laughs> is terrible. But this is a wonderful thing. This is, no, this is I, a I glorious agree. happening. Like, oh my goodness! One of my one of my favorite YouTubers, Maximilian, uh, put it super well. And this is basically my thought. He's like, Smash Bros. is about making people's dreams come true and bringing together a lot of like it's like you know video games, the game, right? Yes. And he's like, this edition is definitely going to make dreams come true. Oh they might gosh. not be my dreams. You but can they're nerd going to pull. Make come true. You can nerd what? pull. Yeah. But I agree with him. Like, yeah, I'm not like a huge Minecraft person. So I'm like, that's I mean, I, I can vision I can see that it is a big deal. I know it's a huge franchise 
and it's awesome that mine you know minecraft characters have been added i'm excited that people like kari are excited yes i personally i'm like it doesn't really like get me jazzed up but i'm so excited that it gets people like kari jazzed up or like you know everyone else out there who plays minecraft yes personally i was the same way when they added banjo kazooie to smash bros a while ago i was freaking the hell out because i've been wanting that character for 20 freaking years (laughs) now i wonder here's something interesting to think about how many players uh minecraft players are there that are excited enthusiastic about minecraft that would also be could possibly become enthusiastic about smash bros that don't already play smash bros right i'm not i'm not gonna think that 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 market is too large because smash bros market is so large and so i think that everybody who could play smash is already playing smash but where i think this Mm -hmm. is going to get a lot of uh, reverberation through our culture is that there are a lot yeah. of people who already play Smash who also mm-hmm. love Minecraft and now yeah. they're going to have a Steve to play and so I think it's beautiful yeah. I think it's absolutely beautiful I mean the, the answer to your question is I don't know Ash Nintendo because I don't have the numbers but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think your analysis numbers. is We're probably guessing. right you know yeah yeah no I think your guess is probably relatively accurate if i had to guess uh but but getting back you were saying about story and stuff uh sorry in in san andreas i wanted to get back to that because i was curious um no just that was the last one the last one i was connected to where i followed Mm -hmm. the story and i kind of cared who they were uh outside of skyrim uh which is skyrim the character in skyrim doesn't really develop uh you just play as him and then you know he goes along but in in san andreas Mm -hmm. you're you're, I mean, you are a person, right? And you can join, a, you yeah. can join this gang or you join that gang or, you know, you kind of, I haven't, I guess I just haven't played that many RPGs where I care mm. about their characters. Yeah. I haven't, um, it's not really RPG. I don't think there are RPG elements. I but mean, adventures. I, I mean, adventures. Okay. I've heard The Last of Us is very well written. I haven't played it, either of them, but I hear a lot of people have really connected with some of those characters. Um, yeah. And just like, the the development of those stories um i'll get back to you on the god of war once i get farther along with that um, that's fine that's there's fine. some game i'm thinking of where i feel like i've really um you know even since san andreas because I'm, I'm also like in a way trying to like help you out and give you recommendations you know what i mean uh that for games I feel to like play I, where i could care about the people yeah exactly. i think it's just it has more to do with the way I play. So the Mm, way I play these days is what can I turn on for 15, 20 minutes, maybe an hour and then turn it off Mm. and go back to doing whatever I was doing. And so I really don't Mm. have, I don't think in terms of 20 hour, 30, 40 hour investments, I just, I can't. Right. Um, and so I that really, might be part of the reason. That's a huge part of the reason. No, that's a huge part It's hard to build character development in that short of time. Yeah. Yeah, so that's just that's just um, not how I approach games these days. Just this phase of my yeah. life, I would like to. I tell you what, in another life, I'm a streamer. Uh, it's a couple. Yeah. It's a couple lives from now, to be fair, because yeah. in my next life after this one, I think I'm a dancer. I think I'm a dancer hmm. in my next life. I just I I love I it. Expected that. Yeah, I just I love it, man. I love expression and dance is so expressive and it's so, you know, I love I love life. 
because uh, yeah. the the other option is to suffer without love <laughs> in, yeah. in life, right? Cause you, Let's you, not do that. I'd rather that's not. That's what you choose, right? Because you choose to stay alive. You go, okay, I'm going to stay alive. Now what? Mm-hmm. Now you've chosen to suffer. People need to realize yeah. that. If you've chosen to remain alive, you've also chosen to suffer in that same choice. It, it, it's part Have of it. Know? Absolutely. I think you can absolutely enjoy life. I don't think it's all. I don't, without I suffering? I mean, you're you're Live, going to suffer some amount. Exactly. That's what I mean. But, I, but you're saying that being alive equals suffering, yes. and I, I think that's a very pessimistic view. It's not. It's, uh, it's I, the I way it, it is. I think that being alive encompasses all of the feelings. I don't think it's just suffering. I think what we're I think we're using suffering two different ways, though. So Maybe. there is <laughs> there is the Maybe acute suffering of mm-hmm. I have a flu, my leg is broken, uh, I just lost mm-hmm. a relationship, a family member just died, I just lost a job. Okay. You know, these these are this is acute suffering, uh, okay. and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking okay. about if you just if you just get up one day. Uh, it's a normal mm-hmm. day, and let's say it's mm-hmm. a Saturday, so you don't have anything on your agenda. You didn't even make plans. Um, <laughs> and you just wake up Saturday. You don't have any plans. You sure. eat a little food, and you you know, you know, sit there. You have your tea, your coffee, and you just kind of sit and be. And um, if you sit and be long enough, you'll end up with the desire to go do something else. Now, why mm-hmm. would you – why would this desire ever arise? Right? Why would it, the desire to get up and go do something else other than what you're doing ever occur? It occurs mm-hmm. from a sense of this, where I am now, the way I am now in this current state, this isn't enough. This isn't good enough. There needs to mm-hmm. be something else. I have to go. I, you know, I have to go. Right? You have this feeling of I have to go. Do something. Yeah. Um, and that's the suffering of life. And it's permanent. Interesting. There's no way around I, it. I, I think it's interesting because I think – that we see that same situation in opposite ways mm. um, because there are times where, yeah, I definitely feel, you know, I'm sitting there and like, yeah, I get a little, you know, antsy or annoyed or whatever. But like, I think a lot of the time where I choose to do something else, my, at least just the way my brain is wired and like my mindset of it is like, um, I'm not going to choose that other thing because I don't like what I'm currently doing. Sometimes that's the case, but a lot of the time it's like, it's because I want to do this other thing I see. Yes, it's you want to do it, positive. but the question you have to ask is why do you want to do that thing? Right, and what I'm saying is that it sounds like what you're saying the why is is because you don't like what you're currently doing. But in my mind, the why is because that other thing excites me. Yes, but why does it excite you? Because there's something that interests me inherently about it. Mm-hmm. And the interest is some quality that that thing has mm-hmm. some quality that that thing has or some that option that it, that presents it, or an option that it presents that doesn't exist in the current state in which you consider that correct that's and i don't suffering. see that as suffering i don't see that as suffering no that's that's the suffering the way i'm using it right and i'm saying i don't see that as suffering my brain doesn't see that as suffering is what i'm trying to tell you my brain I, sees I, that I, as, I would say that you're, you're resistant to enjoying aspects of life. Yeah, I say you're resistant to describing that feeling as suffering uh, because I think you have this. Uh, so it's, this suffering that I'm talking about of life is it's. Yeah, it's the feeling of I have to do it, It's the feeling of of 
let's call it disintegration, slow disintegration. So your body is slowly disintegrating. Uh, and I mean, it, in that respect, yes, you are always suffering. You're always, you're always dying. You're always <laughs> that, suffering. That respect, I'll agree with sure. you. That's biologically true. <laughs> it's biologically true, and it's it's the it's the psychological manifestation of the slow biological dissolution of your body. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it says, okay, we got it. We can't just sit here. I got to eat a piece of bread. I got to drink some water. I got to yeah. kill something to eat it. Right? I can't just sit here. That's the right. feeling that I'm calling suffering. Uh, and that a lot of a lot of philosophers over the years have called suffering. Then it sounds to me okay. like you're saying, "Hey, I don't like to call that suffering. That's fine. Uh, that's fine. I choose to call it suffering." It's not that I don't like to call it that. I just don't even view it that way. But let me let me turn the question on you a different way. Then, mm-hmm. if if mm-hmm. you see that as so, it sounds like part of the reason you see that as suffering is because you have like your, the aspect of like your body is degrading, right? I, and you have like finite time uh... to live. I don't. I don't see. It, and that's not why I see it as suffering. That's not okay. why I. I agreed to call it suffering when I read it described as suffering. I okay. agreed to call it suffering when I read it described as suffering because it struck me. And so it's when I read Sartre. Uh, I think it was nausea and and uh, yeah, I think it was Sartre's nausea. When I read that, it struck me, and I said, yeah. "Oh, yeah, that is it." When you just let everything be, and you just mm-hmm. let the cards fall, and you just exist in a moment. The core kernel of waking is a little bit of suckiness. <laughs> That's the the core kernel is, eh. and it, now when you can get past that with meditation or you can engage in some activity, then that mm-hmm. that offsets, or as as Nietzsche would say, when you can really appreciate, get into an appreciation of some art such that the suffering it it, it goes out of mind, and that's what mm. what makes it worth being. You know, this was a question that Jordan asked. He said is being worth the suffering, right? Is it worth it? And that's a question that we're, we're asking and answering when we engage mm-hmm. in art and when we create art and when we appreciate it. But, I mean, that, I, but I, like, I'm comfortable calling it that way, yeah. I mean, I you said, like, of, like, your, you know, of waking up in the morning isn't, like, uh, I, I forget the exact word you used, like, of it, it potentially leading to suffering, that kind of thing. I don't know. I look forward to waking up in the morning, personally. Mm-hmm. No, I, I like I, you, you should uh, I mean yeah. you 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 should uh I think I like to liken being excited about waking up to the concept of freedom. I think that free people like waking up in the morning and you can imagine yeah. being a slave or a prisoner or an indentured servant in which yeah. case you wouldn't like waking up in the no, morning. No, absolutely not. That I would agree with. Uh, you. Yeah, you I can probably. imagine you can also imagine a lot of uh, common people around the world who have jobs where it's their response. They've signed a contract where they yeah. said, okay, I'm going to sell so much of my attention to this person mm-hmm. for so long a time. And they don't like waking up in the morning. Uh, still, today. Sure. still today. Yeah. But there are also people that are in those situations who do still like waking up. Because they have other things that still keep them happy or they have that internal spark that keeps them happy. Well, I mean, but in that like, case, I would say – like, in that case, I would say those people aren't in the exact same situation. So the situation that I want to say, the part where people don't like waking up, is when they don't want to sell their attention to these specific people for these specific tasks. They don't want to do that. They just they lack a better option. But then you have people who do like the way that they're selling their attention to to who they're selling it to and what they're getting from it. They they like that, right? So this. But I'm is a, saying there are also people who do that who mm-hmm. don't like it but still enjoy other aspects of their life. 
and uh, you know, and, and things about themselves internally. Where yeah, maybe they don't like where they are eight hours uh, during the weekday, forty day, forty hours a week or whatever, but um, they're still able to make the most of it and you know be happy and not completely suffer in that situation. Yeah, so I I still think you're taking suffering as more intensely uh, than I than I mean it. Um, okay, you would have to you'd have to maybe read Sartre's nausea and then interpret that for yourself yeah. and then see that's that's what I'm talking about when I say suffering. Yeah. I forget the initial point um, that, that we we're talking about character development. I don't know something along that way, Meh. but. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah. completely forget where we were. But you're absolutely right. Uh, the it's point fun, you made, though. the point, the point you just tangents, made, the point conversation mm-hmm. is terrific. The point you just made is that absolutely is, is absolutely right, uh, and I totally yeah. agree with it. That people they find themselves selling their attention to a concern mm-hmm. that they would rather not sell their attention to, doing tasks mm-hmm. that they would rather not sell their attention for. But yeah. uh, selling attention isn't all of their time, thanks to. Right. Uh, efforts of movements in the past that have won the five-day work week, the eight-hour work shift, the 40-hour work week, right? And yeah. and rights and healthcare and these things that workers of common people have won in the past that yeah. allows them to be in a position in which they have a life outside of that which they're selling their attention for. Um, yeah. But also yeah. some people are um, um, just like mentally or emotionally – in a place or more prepared or what have you, where even when they're in that situation and not wanting to be there, they might be able to, um, you know, be happier or, you know, be able to, um, get through that situation easier. And I, I of course understand that there are plenty of people who are not good at that and that, um, I think you're hearing me say suffering as yeah. something that negates enjoyment. I think you're well, hearing. I think you're considering hearing. Considering it's say, an opposite, that no, does I, seem to imply I, that makes that sense. Me. No, I, okay, I think you're hearing me yeah. say. I, I think it's the term that you're using yeah. that is really. It, now it's not just me. I've I've learned this term. I didn't come up with to call it this. It's, no, I know. I meant yeah. the one that you're currently using in this moment. I'm not saying it's your term. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I hear what you're saying. You're you're hearing suffering, and you you hear that word, and you think suffering as kind of like depression, right? Something mm-hmm. that 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 pervades me. And if I claim it to be pervasive, which is what I'm claiming, then I'm claiming Mm -hmm. that enjoyment is nullified largely or completely that, that joy and pleasures are made bland and made less than they could be. Um, That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, you did also say that um, enjoyment can help. I forget the phrase you used, like stifle or kind of, you know, make you not think about that suffering. It puts it out of mind. Yeah. Yeah, but that that's certainly still possible even with uh someone who is uh suffering or not suffering in the uh um uh, acute sense that I'm referring to. I think there's plenty of times where you know people have uh, well, depression yes, but, and yes, but not at the same time. In... Say that again? Not you can't you can't acute well, I guess we're talking about masochists here. <laughs> people who people who acutely suffer and love it. Uh, oh, that's not what I was referring to. Oh, okay. To. <laughs> I was saying that, like, you know, there, there, like, let's let's talk about people who have like depression for a second, right? Okay. Like, there are times where you know, if somebody has depression, there's a situation where, um, you know, they can, uh, yeah. Well, let me backtrack for a second. People who have depression, um, in in a sense, are um, kind of feeling 
something uh, more acute in a in a general broader sense, not at all times. Like that's not how depression works, but like in a broader sense, uh, they kind of are right. Like on a larger scale. Having said that, in those uh, in, in the smaller moments of that time, um, the enjoyment or things they do can uh, help um, can help kind of wash away the sadness or the you know the, um, oh my god I'm blinking on the word you're using. <laughs> uh, what, what was the word you're suffering? using? Suffering temporarily, yeah. Yeah. Um, but also at the same time, um, the suffering can. Um, still restrict the amount of enjoyment that they would normally gather out of something. Um, and I think it is possible to have uh, both those aspects be true or, you know, uh, some people don't have depression, so that doesn't apply to them as much, you know? Yeah. So the way I still think you're, I think I still don't think that you're appreciating the way that I'm using suffering as not not an acute thing that only mm-hmm. happens to some of us some of the time yeah. but I'm using suffering as a as a as a word to describe the feeling that arises mm-hmm. that makes us do anything at all so whatever you would like to call that feeling. So there is a feeling, right? So we, we agree to this, right? We agree that if you were just sitting still and you have nothing on your docket and nothing to do, at some point you would get up to do something. And so whatever, right. whatever you call that feeling that moves you from your current state to the next, whatever you call that feeling, that's what I'm calling suffering. Right. Yeah. And I understand the feeling you're talking about. Yeah. And I would call it something else. What would get you call to it? In a second. Okay. Well, Hold on. I would probably call it something in, you know, in the term of like desire okay. or want. Yeah. And now the reason I'm bringing this up is that what I've been trying to say for a while is that whether you want like whatever people can call it different things. I'm just, I've been just been trying to say that calling it suffering seems like an extremely negative connotation to me. And I don't see life in that negative a way i see where some people might um but i think that the way you're describing it seems to say that like you kind of said like this feeling is present with everyone Mm -hmm. and you're calling that feeling suffering Mm -hmm. which by extension implies to me that you feel that everyone in life has this negative connotation yes and that's what i'm saying i disagree with yeah yeah no i get that that makes sense um okay yeah that makes sense so you call it desire yeah. Right. You said you're comfortable calling this feeling of I don't have anything to docket. I don't have anything to do. But this feeling that I want says to do something. Yeah. This feeling that says I, I want to do something. I desire yeah. to do something. So yeah. I'm calling. I'm comfortable giving that a negative connotation because okay. it's it's a force. It's kind of a it's kind of a force. It's it's forcing you out of your current state. It's kind of some. It's kind of if if you know. If, 10 year old is standing at a doorway that he doesn't mm-hmm. want to go through well then i push him through because he needs to go to school right so i push mm-hmm. him through the door so that push that i'm giving him even though i love him and i want him mm-hmm. to be strong the actual act of push is against his will in that moment and so that's the negative right. connotation that i'm talking right. about I'm with saying, suffering i'm seeing it as the child who wants to go to school 
Yeah, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Well, that feeling, though, that feeling of want is a push. Right, but yeah. it's a positive push. <laughs> it's a positive push and not a negative push. Yeah. I see what you're saying. There. You're, it's a positive push and not, not a negative push. Well, I would, yeah. st- I, would say, I would say that that is a luxury. Having that, having that feeling of it, of it have that positive tint is a luxury of the free. Because if you're not a free person, then what mm-hmm. pushes you from one one moment to the next is a negative force. You're you're being dragged through life. Oh, yeah. right? I'm, and, I'm and, not yeah. denying that that's a possibility. I think that there are plenty of people who uh, unfortunately live that way, and it's it's terrible to see. Um, but okay, let I'm, me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Whoa, though. Whoa, Even whoa. for the person who has this free life, there mm-hmm. there must come a point at which they have some they have some desire to do something that only part of them wants to do that. There's another part of them that doesn't want to do that. I I agree. And this is what I'm trying to say is that in the beginning, you said that, you know, life is suffering. Uh (laughs) And what I'm trying to say is at times it is, everyone is going to experience it at some point, but saying that that's what it is, is an extremely negative outlook in my opinion, because I think that many people will have uh, positive and negative moments in their life. And to put a blanket statement to say that life is suffering, I think is, is inaccurate. I think maybe for some people, like the vast majority of their life is going to be that. Um, But I think that for other people, um, or even for those people who are suffering, I think there's still going to be those moments. Yeah, but that's not. I just happen. I want to draw, try to draw, because uh, you're not hearing it. I understand what you're saying, but I want to draw a distinction between acute suffering, which is what I think you're mm-hmm. talking about, and the suffering the way I'm using it, not, and not in a non, some sort of non. But, but I, even in the way you're saying it, I feel that way because I think that there are times where uh, you know people who are in situations where they don't want to do things, right? And that you know they are um, doing it. Now out that's of the sense. now that's less interesting than the situation in which part of them wants to do a thing. Okay, but it, it's still the same point I'm making okay. is that there are times in their lives where they will feel that way, mm. whether it's part of them or, or that doesn't want to do it, or whether it's all of them that doesn't want to do it, whatever. But there are also times in their lives where there are things that they will want to do. Uh huh. And they will have those desires and wants and do those things. And so what I'm saying is that to call all of those situations suffering doesn't feel like it accurately conveys all of the, the ways that people can think and the, the ex- different experiences they can have in their life. Doesn't you see, It doesn't convey. I think it does convey. I think it does convey because the way I use this the moment to moment suffering of existence is un is what under what under lies underneath deliberation no, no. and decision making and so it's it does I, convey the positivity of life it's it's what lies underneath it no, no no what i'm trying to say is that give me a sec your definition and what you're describing of those moment-to-moment things where you, you you choose to get up and do something for whatever the reason might be, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. 
Those are present in everyone's life. I'm uh-huh. not disagreeing with yep, you. Yep, yep. What I'm saying is that the use of that term of suffering puts a very negative connotation on everything that life is. Yeah. And I don't think that connotation is accurate. I don't think the emotions and the ideas that that term conveys are accurate to all aspects of life. I'm trying to understand what you're saying. Because, see, for me, at core, life stinks, but I choose it anyway. I choose it over okay, not I mean, life. Okay, but here's the thing. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's you, but that's not everyone. And um, you, you said that life is suffering, and I maybe I you feel know. that your life— Let me know. finish. Let me feel that—maybe you feel that your life is— and that's fine if you feel that yours is, mm-hmm. but to say that you think life as an entire concept is, you kind of are saying that everyone's life or the idea of being alive, um, no matter who or what you are, is suffering. Yeah. And I don't think that's necessarily true. And yeah. I think that. I think saying, I understand what you're I think, so you're saying that. You're saying to, to to understand what you're saying. You're saying that look, I choose as as a person who chooses life. So this is a, mm-hmm. a theoretical person who chooses life. They wake yeah. up and they go, "I choose to live," and mm-hmm. I can willfully choose life as a positive. I can choose life in the affirmative and live. Well, not necessarily. I mean, some people do get put in terrible situations. I mean, no, but a free person, right? A, a person who has enough land to feed their families and they have enough skills to to house and clothe yeah. their family and there's no government no it's not there's not the even choices neighbors. but it's also the mindset the mindset and so what you're saying is that this person chooses mm-hmm. life affirmatively every day and to call mm-hmm. what they experience suffering is unfair to the way they're experiencing it no not necessarily that person in that situation you're describing no I mean, I I do agree that that does apply there, but that's not what I'm trying to say. Okay, so I well, I still don't get it. It's okay. Um, I'm I'm just saying that there are many things that life has to offer that mm-hmm. is very different for every single person, mm-hmm. and to put a blanket statement that says that life is something that invokes a negative connotation. Is not. I don't. Are we using? I don't. I don't know that. So I'm. I don't know what connotation. I understand. Like. But let me. What I'm saying is, I agree with your definition. Uh, your definition of how you're describing what that means of what suffering yeah. means. What I'm saying is that the choice of the word, and the word you're using to define that thing. The 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 uh, desire. What you what you were comfortable calling desire. Yes. I let me finish. Yeah. The definition that you're saying I agree with, but the word you're choosing to describe that thing, uh-huh. I think can be very misleading and inaccurate and doesn't necessarily uh cover A all the emotions of life and B how every person thinks about life. I 
I don't think it's I don't think life. it's misleading or accurate because you called it desire, right? You agree, right? Which has a very different connotation. Than I don't suffering. know. I don't think it is. I don't think it's very different. I don't think. Uh, I think it's extremely different. <laughs> I don't think desire is very different because desire is mm-hmm. so. If I desire something from where I am now, it imply it has an implicit component of lack, right? If I desire something, I can only desire it because I lack it. Right? Yes. That's the suffering. The lack. Right. But the thing is, you're seeing it as the lack. Uh I'm seeing it as the thing over there excites me and makes me happy. And I'm curious to see what that is about. Not because I dislike where I am now, but because that thing over there is curious to me. And excites me in a positive way. Yeah, but you so you, but you acknowledge. I'm saying it's you acknowledge the presence of the absence that w- once the desire arises. That's yes, that's that, what I've been saying. I understand yeah. and agree with the presence of the absence. That yeah. I agree with. I just don't agree with the term you're using. That's fair because the term makes it seem like that the entire experience of that absence is negative, and I don't yes. think that's entirely true. No, okay, okay. I think I, I so what you're saying I think it's possible but, to have that absence. But you're talking about negative. You're talking about not negative in the in the playing out of the event, right? You're talking about okay, here a moment arises in which mm-hmm. I desire something. So we acknowledge yes. that I desire something because I lack it in this moment. And so what that drives me to do is create mm-hmm. some future moment in which I possess this thing. You're calling that, that whole, I agree. you're calling that whole process a positive, glorious, beautiful thing. Excited about life. I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. What I and so all I'm talking about is that first moment before you go get the thing. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. The permanence of suffering because that moment has I, to come I understand. first. Of course, and I yeah. understand that you're talking about that moment, but mm-hmm. I'm also saying that putting the focus on that moment. Yeah, I focus on that moment, yeah. Okay, and that that's what I, also what I'm trying to say is that putting the focus on that moment feels very uh, very negative to me, and it's okay yeah. if you know you see that. That's your perception. But to say that everyone focuses on that moment and to say that life is suffering I think is inaccurate because – you know, even in this case scenario, we view it in different ways. Yeah, no, not not to say that everyone focuses on that moment. I say everyone should focus on that moment. But but that's my point is that not yeah. everyone necessarily should. I think they should. <laughs> okay. well, Join I mean, me. I, I Join me in my I suffering. Rather, I and that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I would rather focus on the the other side of the coin. No, and, I'm happy. I'm happy you do, and I I totally yeah. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. I'm happy you do. And I appreciate that you're you're happy I do. And I, I and I, you know, am happy that you know you have your way that you you know works for you and that um uh that you have your way of thinking. I respect that. It's just what I'm trying to say is that um what I don't agree with is saying that all life is the way you the you view it. But but we agree that we both see it the same way. It's just that we're choosing to emphasize different points of the same process. So the process that we agree on is that here I am in this moment and then a mm-hmm. desire arises in which I yes. lack something and then that desire 
causes me to perform a set of actions so that in some future moment I possess that thing. We agree yeah. that that's the process. And so we, I do agree, yeah, we, but we I agree don't want to gloss over yeah. the importance of the mindset. The importance of the mindset. And the way that you think about that and the different ways we think about that. Well, I, I would say that we're just we're emphasizing different parts in that same process. We are, but yeah. I'm trying to say that I think that's an important part that should not be understated or overlooked. Uh, no, no, no. No no understating, no over, overlooking anything. Uh, I think we're just okay. talking about a choice of emphasis, right? So right, if right. We, we agree. And, and because of that choice, that's why I cannot agree with your term of suffering, at least in my life or for everyone's life. Maybe there are a lot of people who I can agree with that term or like that's the way that people or that person chooses to feel or they do feel not out of choice, whatever. But I just can't bring myself to use it as a blanket term for life. But you agree that the blanket exists in that moment of lack. Right. That's what yeah. I'm saying. I agree yeah. with your definition. I strongly disagree with your term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. I mean, call it what you will. Um, but we agree on the moment of lack, the existence, the permanence and the existence of that moment of lack that arises for all of us. Yeah, I mean, things, I mean, but yeah, I mean, but the thing is, I think that you can just also just see that in a very neutral way of like life moving forward and objects being in motion yeah, and choosing to do I don't think you can be things. neutral on a moving train. Yeah, like we don't have to. What I'm saying is that you, the thing you're describing is a very neutral, neutrally emotional thing. What? What? Neutral? Not neutral, but like... This is life. <laughs> this is, this is life. There's different ways of viewing neutral. it. There's different, no neutral. No, there's different ways of viewing what you're describing. Of course. Seven, about over seven billion different ways. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's, I, it. I, that's I, it. I just can't agree... With how of I, what you're saying, what it sounds like you're saying is that look, the way you're the word you're choosing to describe this process about mm -hmm. which we both agree is a negative downer term, and you're hurting yeah. by using that term. You're hurting people's outlook and their potential by using that term. That's what you're saying. Uh, you might be, but might that's be. not. You might be, but what I'm more just trying to say is that. Um, that outlook doesn't necessarily accurately reflect everyone's outlook. I, I don't think it does. I don't think it does. Okay. No, I don't think it okay. does. Okay. As um, long as we're on the same page yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, We're on the same when page When you said that. life is suffering, I was like, is it? Because, like, that's what I was trying to say is that okay, not I'll rephrase everyone it this necessarily way. agrees with that. I choose to describe life as suffering. Okay. That, that I can yeah. agree with. Yeah, yeah. I choose to describe but, life as suffering. But scientifically, I can agree that there are those moment-to-moment -moment interactions where you're like, uh, you know, I'm in point A. I'm going to go to point B for whatever reason. Uh huh. That I can agree with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's and you know it's one of the things that I love about your outlook and the way you move through the world. <laughs> you look at the whole process that we just agreed on. That yeah. you have a moment in which you you feel you have a visceral feeling of lack, and then you yeah. say, "I'm going to have this." feeling of lack drive me to go get that thing to go do that next thing to to live this to live this positive affirmative life and you focus mm -hmm. on that you focused on that positive and you focus on that af uh, affirmation i think that's beautiful i think that's thank absolutely you beautiful. i mean look I, I i don't think i'd have this full-time game audio job if i didn't do that <laughs> yeah no you, I, you I, know, oh and God, I, I encourage had... for to be clear for anyone listening uh if 
if you experience the lack, the momentary lack, which arises quite on its own biologically, if you experience that lack and just let it be and never seek to resolve it, you're condemning yourself. I wouldn't recommend recommend that for anyone. What I'm when I say focus mm-hmm. on the lack, I mean mm-hmm. recognize it when it happens. That's what I mean by right. focus on it. Recognize that when I get this feeling in my abdomen that says I need barbecue chicken wings, <laughs> right? That when I go from where I am as a bar, as a wingless person to in <laughs> about an hour when I do have wings, as long yeah. as I recognize when that feeling of lack arose, I take responsibility mm-hmm. for that feeling. I recognize it mm-hmm. as arising within myself, and I take responsibility for the actions that I take in between being in the wingless state and to the winged mm-hmm. state. That's it. I love the way you describe the whole process. But but uh, the other thing I want to get to is like uh, that uh, one thing I, I think is so interesting. I know that um, for anyone listening, it might sound like Kari and I are um, – are a little frustrated and that that's not really the case. I think it's, it's super interesting to hear the different ways that uh, people think about and, and, you know, look at things uh, and, you know, maybe it, it takes a little confusion to get to understanding each other, but um, Dude, and that, that's, that's I mean, why, that's why I, that's why I'm engaged in this medium now. Uh, for because sure. it's, you know, this is the meat. That's the meat of life that that our yeah. country and our culture needs more of. I actually look forward to oh, the for day sure. when I can get. Because I mean, right now I'm talking to you. We're old friends, so we get along. Uh, but I look forward to a day when I can talk to someone that maybe I don't know as well and have a deep mm-hmm. disagreement. Right? That's that's going to be yeah. an interesting uh, point to come for across. For sure. And yeah. and the thing that is uh, yeah, that I agree with strongly with that uh, is that I thought it was super interesting, like hearing your description of just like a simple situation of like i'm going to go get food you know like that's like an everyday thing people do right but like the way that you describe it um might be different from the way that i describe it or that dan describes it or that lorraine describes it and i think that's one of the you know what you were saying it's like that's that's kind of the that's that's the life the juice of life kind of thing right like you know people have different experiences and different things that have happened in their life that, you know, bring them to the point they're at. And, you know, because of that, they uh, can express the simplest of things in such different ways or even the most complex of things in different ways. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I like about the scientific method, what that's been doing is that's been giving us an objective framework to stand Mm -hmm. on. Right. So no matter how I feel, about what we should do let's say as a Mm -hmm. culture morally uh, this is where we should go these are the laws we should write and these are the laws we shouldn't write no matter how i feel about that and how you feel about it we can all agree okay where we are here november 2020 these are outside of this election there's not you know not including that there's currently a state of limbo uh for Mm -hmm. this unfortunately but i think most people are come but let's let's just talk about yeah. Jeez, Louise, it's so hard to even find things that we all agree on that actually exist. Um, the, <laughs> fi- the, a, yeah. the 50 states. Let's say the the number of states is equal to 50. Sure. And we're all going to sure. go, yeah, the number of states is equal to 50. Okay, we all agree mm-hmm. about that. There is a yeah. constitution this country was founded on in 1776. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, we all agree on that. Um, mm-hmm. There are certain set of facts that we can all agree on. And the scientific method is bringing us more 
facts that we can all agree on regardless of moral mm-hmm. opinion and theological opinions in biology yeah. and chemistry and physics and uh, it's a beautiful beautiful thing beautiful thing it is i agree and i think i think one thing to that's also really interesting about the the scientific method and what you're describing that um uh i think a lot of people overlook is that um scientific method uh can give us something that is objectively true and i want to uh make an addendum to that based on our current knowledge because there's so many times where scientific method have like oh they've proven this this and that and then new information comes along down the line they're like oh that kind of changes everything but then they still um uh uh take in that new information and do objective with that and kind of like add it on to to uh, amend things a little bit you know what i mean yeah yeah it's always you know one thing that i've said um that i think it might be a contribution to philosophy maybe Mm -hmm. don't know yet is that (laughs) objective reality is constituted entirely by subjective testimonies and what i mean Mm. by that is when if it's just me on uh some land mass let's say with a bunch of other plants but no other animals if it's just me then there's no such thing as objective reality in this landscape, mm. even if there's a tree that falls over from some rot and then, you know, yeah. some virus had gotten and it falls over and the tree makes mm-hmm. a bunch of noise and I hear it. Even in that yeah. situation, there's no objective reality as long as I'm the only conscious entity around. Objectivity mm. doesn't come into play until there's another conscious entity with which i would have to agree or disagree about the loudness or quietness of that tree at that point now we have an objectivity to talk about Mm -hmm. because there's there's my subjective testimony and there's your subjective testimony and so let's let's say the tree falls and i say it didn't make any noise and you say Mm -hmm. it made a ton of noise and we all both of our ears function we test our ears and both of our ears function mm-hmm. except for some reason i can't hear trees fall over yeah. uh and so now we have a question about our objective reality but once you right. add a third person and the third person says oh yeah the tree definitely made a bunch of noise there's something wrong with your ears now we have some sort of consensus and that's how we work and so yeah. objective to objective reality is constituted mm-hmm. entirely by subjective testimonies because subjective testimony is because subjectivity is where reality starts it starts from from where from where you're seeing the world it starts from where you sit yeah no i think it's definitely true and i think that it's it's a thing that um i think a lot of people kind of overlook and i think you know even in the example you gave right like you said that like you know in this massive land you're in like you see you know yourself you see trees you see ground right like yep. I, I think that was all the things you listed right yep um let's say some fourth person comes along right yep and uh he brings a cow with him you're just like what's that yep Where, th- this exists what is this it's like yeah this exists this is a cow and you're just like well I- i've never seen one before like you know That's like right. in your in your reality before that fourth person came along with their cow there was no such thing as cows. Heck, even in the same example you gave before cows, before that second person came along, in your subjective reality, you were the only person of your kind. Yep. And once someone else, and that's the thing, is like if your scope is so small, um, or not necessarily small, but if your scope only reaches so far to where you uh, can't see you know, these other things that might be outside your scope, mm-hmm. then they hypothetically might not exist yeah no you can't see them 
your scope yeah. is limited. Your scope is yeah. your first person experience is is limited to one person, you. That's it. Yeah. You can't experience anybody else's shoes, not directly. Uh, And actually, that makes me think of something that I'm really excited about in VR Mm. in the very, very long Mm. term is I think by the end of my career, we will have VR experiences so meaningful that they will actually be able to heal emotional divides between people that you can actually oh, I, I could see you it. could actually have somebody say you know what you guys are in a fight right well mm-hmm. you're gonna wear these glasses for a week you're gonna wear these glasses for a week and then after the week we're going to we're gonna have you do these things and then we're gonna mm-hmm. kind of cut down the experience so that it's only a couple hours but then when you guys are gonna swap glasses and you're gonna live that other person's week in which we mm-hmm. had them do these things and talk to these people and this and this and then after that they're gonna go I was so wrong. <laughs> I didn't yeah. know. I no, couldn't I have imagined. Really... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. That's it. Yeah. Okay. No, I think that's a really good point. I think that's um, I think that's totally something that I could see happening and uh, really, um, really feasible. Um, I think in you know in kind of a similar way. Um, have you have you read uh, Ready Player One? I have not. Okay. Um. Uh. So I'm gonna start by saying I understand people's uh. Criticisms of some of the character development, this, that, and the other, whatever. Uh, I, I really like that book, and I think it poses some very interesting uh, points in regards to uh, technology, VR, and the other. And unfortunately, I think these points are m- more just in the book, not as much in the movie. Um, but that's neither here nor there. But it's it's really interesting because um, in Ready Player One, I'm not going to get like too much into the whole story, but I do highly recommend because the story is engaging. But the world they've kind of set up, right, is that um, guys that are uh, they're they're kind of played up as like a, a a Jobs and Wozniak kind of duo. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, and they uh, develop this uh, technology called the Oasis, and the Oasis is uh like this vast vr universe I, I can't even say it's a world it's a it's a literal universe with like multiple planets and this that and the other mm-hmm. right and the vr is like you know very um you know high tech and engaging like all the stuff you're talking about you mm-hmm. know um you know similar to like an mmo you can like make your avatar this that and the other right and the thing is is that the initial intention of it um you know starts out as you know a game like a vr mmo right but the thing is, is that it gets to the point where they, you know, they add uh, features and experiences and stuff like that, where the it starts to bleed into so many other parts of existence and affecting so many other um, parts of life mm. where, um, you know, a lot of, you know, the, the economic state of the world had, you know, been kind of difficult in, in the story when this came about. And, you know, a lot of these world school systems realized like, hey, we don't necessarily need um you know this uh you know like physical school buildings anymore we can set up our schools on the oasis and you know people can attend uh from anywhere and get like very you know visceral experiences that are you know basically the same you know uh or even better than we hypothetically uh could have made or more engaging mm. uh and they can interact with people from all over the world um you know same with like uh, you know, business meetings and people buying, uh, you know, buying clothes and like, you know, going, you know, shop, what have you. Like it, it, it the, the author explains it way better than I really can right now. But point is that like this kind of in-depth um, experience starts to really um, 
affect a lot of walks of life, sometimes positive and sometimes negative, because, you know, this is one of those stories. Yeah. Uh, but point is, is that it does create these. Uh, they, they don't really get to that specific experience you talked about. Unfortunately, I thought that was like when you describe that, I'm like, really, I thought that was like a really interesting take. I'm like, damn, I hope he world builds with something like that, you know? Um, but just like that similar concept of like the different ways that it can apply to people and make them, uh, you know, see different things. Well, I read a long time ago, the best way to expand your world is to include someone else's. Yeah, so I think I Mark think Twain had a very similar quote that, about that. I don't that. know. I, I, no, no, I no, no, it wasn't, it wasn't Twain, too. but he had, Twain had a similar quote. I'm just trying to find it. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a human arbitralist that's what i call myself mm-hmm. uh for lack of a better position uh, i'm trying to improve my yeah. position all the time but my current philosophical position is that humans humans everywhere is my chosen philosophical stance uh, and i understand how people could be against that uh, i think that's i think yeah. that's deeply negative and to to share your spirit from what you're for the concern you had for me earlier is that i think there's some people that think humanity is a cancer on the earth and that's deeply how they see it uh, i think mm. that's negative and i don't subscribe to that view uh, i would hope to to root in or, or convince someone to come away from that view if they hold it uh, i see the human species as a flower on the surface of the earth uh, we are something mm. that has grown from the earth and i think we're beautiful and if you try to take us out i'm gonna fight you with everything i have uh, that's how I feel about our yeah. species. And so I would see us go to Mars and go internationally and go interstellar, uh, harvest the power of the sun and go to Alpha Centauri. I would see us do all these things. And the way, the only way to do that is to garner excitement and and just pure enthusiasm from as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. That's the only way to do it. Uh, and that's what we got to move towards, I think. And game, uh, games do that, <laughs> as far as I can tell. Games excite people. People like games. I like games. Okay, I think I found the quote I was looking for. I just want to double-check it is him, so give me a second. Mark um, Twain. I read... What was I think Twain I, I read? The Sun yeah, Also Rises? Is, is that Twain? Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't read that much of him, to be honest. But uh, there was one quote I saw that I love. It's uh, uh, travel, so, you know, by extension, seeing different parts of the world experiencing, right? Hmm. Travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. And many of our people need it sorely on these accounts. Broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all one's lifetime. Yeah. Kudos. Thanks, Mark. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Mark. (laughs) Wrote that like 100 plus years ago. It's amazing how accurate that is, you know? And, you know, it goes to what we're what we're doing now in our generation is that oh, v- yeah. VR is a form of of travel. It's a form of it's travel. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, agree. I think that's great. Yeah, that it's people not, can have those it's not as meaningful as the real travel. And no. so, you know, I think that VR is more is closer to real travel than plastic fruit is to fake fruit. Mm. I mean, then yeah. uh, no, the plastic fruit is the real fruit, but yeah. VR is not as close to real travel as impossible meat is to real beef. That's closer. 
That's much, much closer mm-hmm. than VR is. There's still m- something missing in VR. Something about sharing the air. There's something about sharing the risk of physicality. Mm-hmm. So in yeah. VR, when I'm VR connected to you, uh, mm-hmm. something we don't share is the same risk of location. If a bomb goes off where you are, I just turn my computer off and read about it on the news. But if I'm talking right. to you in a cafe, if a bomb goes mm-hmm. off in the next door store, we're both now in danger. Yeah. And so there, yeah. there's something about, there's something to that uh, in terms of yeah. real travel, but we can, I think we can help heal cultural divides in with digital reality. At least help, yeah. right? Not totally heal. I agree. But, I think but, it can help. help. I think it's a really, really good point. Uh, Mike, we're coming up on three hours. I was I was gonna say that it's pretty impressive, and you know I I was saying uh, before we started this like I might have to have lunch in the middle of it because uh, I'm you know know I'm probably gonna be hungry on this time, dude. I've been so engaged by this conversation, I like not felt the need for lunch yet, dude. <laughs> I'm just like oh, it's so I should fun. eat sometime soon. Uh, you're such you're such a positive, rounded thinker, enthusiastic guy. Uh, I am grateful to call you my friend. Uh, we're going oh, to play you, some dude. heroes this week. Yes, we are. Uh, and do some off the record talk. But while we're on the record, please tell anybody who listens to this uh, where they can find you, where they can see uh, what you're doing, and also what you would recommend for them to check out in the meantime. Uh, sure. Okay. So where you can find me, uh, you know, MikeThal.com has a lot of like my sound design and music work. Um, I also have a YouTube channel of Mike Thal um, that a lot of this uh, analyzing and creating um, sounds for video games. Uh, you know, uh, the, you know, the old Twitter and Instagram uh, is Mike A. Thal. And that's like, you know, just more personal, but like sometimes still audio and gaming and music stuff. Uh, all the all the usual kind of things that I enjoy. Um, and... In terms of recommendations to check out, um, you know, I'm I'm always gonna say, you know, dive in, you know, the fighting games, give them a try. I think they are really fun and expressive, um, and I think there's something really out there uh, for almost everyone, um, you know, in terms of character or the other the the actual game itself. And if you have questions about them or you know, art, you know, art style or sorry, questions about them or like what might be a good one to get into, or yeah, just you know, reach out. I'm happy to. <clears throat> excuse me happy to help um and the other thing check out i guess uh i've been on a big kick with this band called porcupine tree recently really interesting group Very nice. um so i would check them out uh if you're at all curious so and uh you know i also want to just say uh you know kari thank you for having me on i mean it's been um you know it's been awesome knowing you uh you know for these years and um uh, you know continuing to talk about so many different things with you uh you know not just here but you know in life in general and you know playing a bunch of different games and i think that um you know interacting with you i've learned uh a lot of different things whether uh you know that i wouldn't have normally looked into as much uh you know partially because of your knowledge of uh philosophy or just like you're completely different um you know uh how you you know your experiences in life have you know been very different i think what we were saying before about just learning everyone's uh you know what everyone brings differently uh to their outlook or how they express things and i think that um the fact that you are still such a uh good-hearted you know person who is you know want, you know wants to talk about these things and have similar interests to me has made that um you know so much more enjoyable 
Um, and it's it's been great knowing you too. I love you know having these kind of conversations with you. So well, water seeks its own level. So everything you said about me, back on to you, buddy. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> we'll talk later off the books. Till then, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye-bye.